This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. <laughs> Ben's like, why do you do that? Why do you do that? It's so weird. It's not. It's my excitement level. Does he know people are listening? Yeah. Does anybody does, <laughs> does anybody tell Matt that people are listening when he does that? It's like if he was in an actual room of people, he wouldn't do that. Oh, but I would. Would you? Well, don't I do that at our meetings? No. You kind of sit in the corner and play hey. with your phone. No, I'm not playing. And then occasionally you look up and you say something to completely derail the meeting. Well, that's part of the goal. Yeah. Because I, sometimes I think the meeting's like feels too much like a meeting. Well, it's going to be five minutes, but the way I have it all scheduled. You can't have a five-minute meeting. You could. It would be glorious. No, see, that'll get you fired. You need to have a 50-minute meeting. Because you go, we need to do this, this, and this, and that'll be done by you, you, and you. Ready, break. Yeah. Meeting. <laughs> um, wouldn't that be fun if Ben came to the meetings? He, he's been showing up lately. He came last time. He rolls in at the end, looks confused, and leaves. Yeah. Twiddles my thumbs. Yeah. Twiddles your thumbins. Yeah. Why are we talking about meetings? Because you this talked is, about how you derail them. This is Super Tuesday 2. Today's the day. Well, no. Super Tuesday 2. Eh. This really isn't that super of a Tuesday. What? It's a preview to Super Tuesday 2, which is next Tuesday. No. Boring. Yeah. It's a chance to build momentum. Which is what we've said almost, what, every week since this has started. It's getting crazy. Uh, many are saying Rubio should just quit because he's getting killed. He's getting killed. So he ought to quit before he gets to Florida because if he, if, he, he, if he gets destroyed in Mississippi and Idaho and Michigan, then guess what? And then you lose in Florida? His career's done. He couldn't even get the job as a dog catcher. As a dog catcher. <laughs> I don't know. I don't even know if he's going for that job. No, but if it was open, he wouldn't apparently get it. Wouldn't have a shot. So that's the thing. How do you know when you quit? How do you know when's the time to quit? Everyone, you know, Cruz suggests he quits. Trump wants him to quit. Does Those Trump... are kind of biased, though. You think? Do you think? Kind of self-serving. I mean, is it in Trump's best interest to have him quit? Yeah, he'd win Florida. He's going to win Florida anyways. At least right, right now the polling is showing. I know. So if he's going to win anyway, then... But you don't want to just give it to him. You want to fight. Get in and fight. Because then down the road, if you want to you know, do anything in politics again, yeah, so you don't want why... it to look like you just you know gave up. Because if Rubio quits now, what's left for him to go do but be a, you know, a lobbyist? As of right now, he could run for another office. Yeah. That's, I guess, the point. Don't wait too long. But then if Rubio's out, then it's just Kasich. And I guess Kasich, you know, he's, he's, he's going to go till Ohio. He has his Ohio dream. And then when that's shattered, we'll move on from there. <laughs> it looks like it's going to come down to Cruz. Theodore Cruz. Could be. In fact, in the second hour of the Matt Townsend Show, we're going to be talking about um, body language. And Amy Cuddy, Dr. Amy Cuddy will be joining us. 
one of the most popular TED Talks, second, I think, TED Talk in popularity of all time. Because it's relatable. It's totally relatable. Everybody's like, wait a second, I do that. She said, she gave a quote like, you know, within a second of looking at someone's face, you know if you trust them or not. And the minute she said that, I thought of Trump and Cruz. Yeah. I don't know why, but a lot of people say they just don't. I was telling you about um, a uh, psychologist that wrote a, a piece about what's going on with Ted Cruz's face that makes people not necessarily trust him. I mean, that is such a hard thing. Like, he so- can't. He, and the, the article was talking about how, how he can't smile. You watch him try to give a genuine sort of warm smile, and it looks <laughs> like he's in pain. You, you know, there's an easy way to fix that. Put a pen in your teeth and hold a pen with your teeth. And that forces you to smile. And guess what that does? That actually makes you feel better. Hmm. That looked a little weird on national TV with a pen in your teeth. Well, what he could do that. is just hold his pen in his mouth okay. in between questions. All right. And when they come back to him, uh-huh. he's, he's, he's smiling. Okay. Yeah, he uh, needs a smile coach. I'm there. Dr. Matt. I'll teach him how to smile. The old-fashioned way. He doesn't seem to... Have a lot of practice at it. But isn't that reason. sad? You got to work on your smile. But the reality is, is it matters. Not, the, you got to tr- you, you got to trust the guy, and and he's got to be able to smile. The vast majority of the nation, their only exposure to a candidate will be on TV, and so that's the entire image they need to cultivate. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, it's sad because there's so much more to it. But that's where a lot of people make their decision. Mm-hmm. Mm. Who's the tallest? Who has the best hair? That's why I'm glad we do radio. Right. No one can see. Nobody can see. What's going on. Now, they can't see for you. Nobody can see that Ben's not even wearing a shirt right now, which I find awkward. Yeah, well. It's a little bit warm in the studio today. You know what was weird about you, Ben, yesterday? Uh, I walked out amongst the producers, which I am not known to do. Right. Because I, <laughs> I need my rest. You're better than most people. I was in my office well, sleeping. You, you have them come and have audience with you. That's really what it comes down to. <laughs> it's not usually how I call I don't call it that. I'd like you to come have audience, but I went out there and Ben has like two or three producers mm. gathered around him. I know. Helping him write a paper. It's a little awkward. Yeah. HR sent me a note. Did they? Yeah. Because yeah. uh, I, I, I actually called him and said, you got to do something. Kind of that. a monitor, monitor the situation. Ben's like working the team. Yeah. Yeah, they. I mean, they're good writers. They helped me out. He, he was writing about his experience on the show. Yeah, I was trying to hide it from Matt, but then he came over and he, he talked made it about sound the like... verbal abuse. Yeah. At one point, there was a lot of German going on. Oh, really? Yeah, him and another producer were just yeah. lobbying German back and forth. Don't you think? Yeah, we didn't want anybody to know we what felt we were saying. The rest of the room, which was. Basically me, because I don't think anybody else was listening, kind of felt like we were being left out. Really? In the conversation, yeah. Well, it... That and German is not a beautiful language. Oh, it's a very beautiful language. It's very harsh. There's rough edges. I always feel... I feel vulnerable when people are talking German around me. Lots of phlegm involved. It's really... It's a Flemish language. (laughs) I think that means something else. Hey, um, today we're going to be talking about the nursing, nursing shortage. It's a big deal. We're running out of nurses. And if we run out of nurses, we're in trouble. See, and I thought they fixed it. No. Because I remember hearing radio commercials talking about uh, incentives 
mm-hmm. for tuition. Maybe they'll cut yeah. the tuition a little bit to, get, to try to get people into the nursing programs to help this, sure. with this problem, but they're just having Prob- shortages. Well, and there's not enough schools, and the schools are great, and the schools can get a lot of people through, but then there's not enough hospitals to train them in. And there's a ton of requirements, and the baby boomers, they're not getting younger. They're getting older. You so keep, as, You keep hearing healthcare is going to be where the jobs are, but right? how do we and then, get people in there? I wonder if like Obamacare, the healthcare you know, initiative is now, it, it's probably pushing a lot more responsibility to the nurses. Mm-hmm. And the nurses are aging themselves. The average age of a nurse, I think, is over 50. Hmm. So... You know, do you replace a 50-year-old nurse with a 25-year-old nurse? Well, yeah, that's how that works. But there's a huge gap between a 50-year-old's knowledge and a 25-year-old's knowledge. It's got to be dealt with. So we'll be speaking with uh, Dr. Katrina Merrill, who is uh, a professor of nursing here at Brigham Young University. She's going to walk us through the nursing shortage. But uh, where there is no shortage is in news. Let's get to Terry South, find out what's going on around the rest of the world. Terry? Thanks, Matt. Republicans will vote today in the Idaho, Michigan, and Mississippi primaries and and the Hawaii Republican caucuses. Democrats in Michigan and Mississippi are also holding their primaries. In total, 205 delegates are at stake for the two Democratic candidates. On the other side of the aisle, 150 delegates up for grabs for the four remaining Republican candidates. Experts say that today's contest will set the stage for next Tuesday, which could be huge for Donald Trump. If we win Florida, it's over. If we win Florida and Ohio, it's really over, okay? That's kind of the sentiment. What's the difference between over and really over? Well, Florida would put him ahead. Florida and Ohio would make it almost unreachable that no one could mm. catch him. No one could make it or keep him from getting the 50% that he Kasich, needs. Kasich's going to win uh, Ohio. Come on. We'll see. He's the He's the man there. We'll see. Marco Rubio's communications director is calling on CNN report that advisors are quietly pushing the Republican presidential candidate to exit the race before his home state primary. 100% false. That's fiction, says Alex Corrent. Good. He told Wolf Blitzer, who always has the news, uh, Monday afternoon, adding that he just attended a meeting where a campaign planned out the campaign planned out next week's schedule. Why'd you plan out next week if we're going to drop out? It's a trick. Could be. Those who want him to stay in the race say Rubio has proven before that he can win in Florida and can come from behind sources say a Monmouth poll released Monday shows Donald Trump leading Rubio in Florida 38 to 30. Mm. With uh, Two weeks ago, a Quinnipiac poll had Trump with a 44 to 28 percent lead Except on Rubio. Except I heard, I heard Rubio's winning in the votes that have made it in already. Yes, the early voting. The early voting, he's already ahead. So... We'll see. Oh, this is crazy. Michael Bloomberg officially decided on Monday that he would not enter the presidential race, fearing that if it could backfire and lead to a win by Republican frontrunner Donald Trump or Ted Cruz. Mm. So instead of getting into the mess, he's just staying out of it. He's a scaredy cat. Famed sportscaster Aaron Andrews was awarded $55 million in a civil lawsuit Monday over the secret recording and release of a video showing her nude in her hotel room while she was staying uh, in, in the hotel. I believe it was in the... A Marriott. A Marriott. I think it was in the Nashville area. Mm-hmm. That's where the trial yeah. was taking place. The suitor initially asked for $75 million from the hotel operator and the convicted stalker who used a hacksaw to create a peephole and filmed the video in 2008. The stalker, Michael David Barrett, has been sentenced to two and a half years in prison. He will be responsible for more than half of yeah. the $55 million. How do you get $28 million out of somebody who obviously doesn't have $28 million? You squeeze him. Yes. That is great news for her. That's just not... F- 
Right. No, you should horrible. be able to be in your hotel room. And-, and and the defense they used in it was, hey, look at her. Her career hasn't been harmed by this. If anything, it yeah. was helped. I mean, it really boosted her career. Come and on. she's like, what? Good, $55 million. <laughs> So I, it, probably the Marriott's are going to pay for the majority the of The other half of it is yeah. from the hotel. Yeah. Chain. Yeah. The cha- yeah, that group that owns the those group variants. that owned it. Yeah, Russian tennis star uh, superstar Maria Sharapova announced Monday that she had failed a drug test at the Australian Open. She says, "I take full responsibility." The twenty-eight year uh, or twenty-eight year old career Grand Slam winner said in the LA press conference announcing that she had tested positive positive for melodronium, a substance banned by the World Anti Doping Agency. Sharapova says she took the medication for magnesium deficiency and a family history of diabetes. That medicine went on the banned list at the first of the year. Mm. So it's a brand new banned yeah. substance. It was fine last year. It's not fine now. She was unaware and she got. Pop for it, so Busted. she'll be out. Hmm. Um, JetBlue Airways, this will be something probably comforting to all those of you who like to fly. Yeah. JetBlue Airways going to train people to fly its jets with no prior experience. Mm-hmm. The AP reports the $125,000 four-year program is unprecedented for a large U.S. airline, which usually stick to recruiting new pilots from smaller outfits. Students in the program will take tests, evaluating coordination, multitasking, critical thinking, and personality. They will absolutely be as qualified as any other pilot that is operating a JetBlue aircraft, Why? says the senior vice president. Why are they doing this? They need pilots. Well, I know, but there are a million pilots. My nephew has been training to be a pilot for five years. Grab him. He already knows they how want, to land a plane. They want him with no prior experience. You know apparently. what? That makes sense. <laughs> doesn't make sense. <laughs> Let's get one that uh, played football. I get the concept of the discount airline, but there's a point where you just go too far. Yeah. I could be your pilot in like two years. Oh, brother. Cautionary tale right there. That's a great example. The same guy that pushes the buttons on the Matt Townsend show is going to be your pilot today. Please buckle in and write your last will and testament. This isn't like doing a radio show. <laughs> now, how do we land? That's scary. Oh, well. More power to them, I guess. Hey, we will be taking a break right now. When we come back, we're going to be talking about the nursing shortage. Did you know that there's a shortage of nurses? And, folks, it, it doesn't look like uh, it's going to be corrected anytime soon, but it's going to impact uh, health care. That's for sure. It's going to impact a lot of things. Uh, we need more nurses. Stick with us. We'll be uh, talking with Dr. Katrina Merrill from Brigham Young University's nursing program, giving you the insight, the tools you need to live longer and lead a healthier life, folks. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. And if, if you've been to the hospital recently or just a clinic or, I mean, there's so many different places. Just in visiting somebody that's in hospice, visiting somebody that's um, in a senior living center or assisted living center, nurses, they're everywhere. They play a vital role in the health care of our country. It's the nurses who make the hourly visits uh, to the hospital rooms that, that are caring and monitoring the patients. The work accomplished uh, by nurses is often overlooked, and in recent years, the workload has also continued to increase, with the majority of the nursing workforce joining uh, uh, joining the workforce prior to 1970. 
We are currently facing the largest nursing shortage our nation has seen, at least since the 60s, I believe, in one article I read. This is a big, big deal. Combined with the aging population and the rise of chronic disease and limited capacity in nursing schools, guess what? We may be in the middle. And in fact, I would say we are based on what I'm reading and our next expert We're in the middle of a nursing crisis. So joining us today is Dr. Katrina Merrill, Assistant Professor of Nursing at BYU. Dr. Merrill joins us today to tell us more about the shortage and what we can expect to see in the nursing workforce. Dr. Katrina Merrill, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thank you, Matt. It's good to be here. This is, uh, it seems crazy. Nurses, that's as as big of a deal. I mean, you're a huge part of our medical health care world. Yeah, nurses are are the number one in the healthcare profession. Yeah, uh, make up about seventy percent of the healthcare uh, professionals. And we're short. We're running out. Yeah, there's about three million nurses uh, in the country today, and it's expected that we will lose about a third of those um, because they're aging. You yeah, know, um, the baby boomers, and you know, we talk about the aging population and their medical needs, but they're also aging and going. Out of the workforce, right? I so, mean, I think I read the average age is like fifty for a nurse. Yeah, it's it's between forty five and fifty, and uh, you know, nursing is a very demanding profession oh, as yeah. well. I mean, it, it, but I also see here on campus. I know we have a great nursing program here, and I see all these twenty year olds, twenty two, twenty three, twenty four, twenty five, that would be incredible nurses, but there's just not enough faculty nationwide either to train all these nurses we need. Well, exactly. One of the the issues is the shortage of faculty and the um, the average age of a faculty member um, getting their doctorate. So to, to be eligible to, to work in a, a nursing program uh, is about uh, 45 or 50. Oh, wow. And so they start out uh, it, it, older and so they don't stay in the education arena as long and and then we don't have people to teach. So the the shortage goes um, from the bedside but also to all aspects yeah. of, of the nursing care. So the faculty for nursing care and um, and the nurses themselves. But I guess in the it doesn't make sense to me. It seems like, you know, there's a demand. So if there's a demand, we'd be able to throw money at it is kind of what I feel like our government thinks. Throw some money at it, and then all of a sudden we'll be able to get more nurses. But you can't get more nurses because there's not the faculty, and you can't get the faculty because there's not enough nurses. Right. Well, and and you also have to look at uh, where people want to work. I mean, you can't make people become faculty members, right. and you actually take a pay cut to That's become huge. a faculty. Yeah. Uh, it's much more. I mean, if you're looking at it from a money standpoint, yeah. it's much more lucrative to. Um, to be at the bedside in in hospitals um, and things like that. So, you know, people need to be motivated to to change their career path to um, from acute care, let's say. But you know, there's also that patient aspect. You know, nurses for the most part went into nursing because they they want that compassion and they want that um, contact with patients. The other aspect of the nursing shortage is that nurses are leaving hmm. because of dissatisfaction, because overwork, um, because of the long hours, um, yeah. and the stress associated with uh, working w- with people who are ill, and you know, death and dying and all of that. So there's a lot of reasons to um, 
I read one report, nurses are leaving to become hairdressers. Oh, wow. <laughs> you know, to be I mean, relaxed. It's more relaxing. Yeah. Uh, you know, and so, I mean, we need to make um, nursing a, a profession where where we take care of those who are caring for us. Yeah. Oh, I, I mean, you think about it, really. 70% of our our medical experience is going to involve a nurse. That's huge. And yeah. yet, we we almost just take it for granted, right? Like Like, oh, they'll be here. They'll be here. But when the baby boomers are booming and in full bloom and boom, we we may be in trouble because to, it's it's one thing too to just find a nurse and get a nurse in your era in your profession or in your specialty. But then you got to get them, let's say, in North Dakota, right? And you right. got to get them in all of these far reaches of the country, and that in and of itself has got to be hard in a shortage. Well, and you have to realize too that uh, about seventy percent of our nurses are um, are mothers, and so um, you know, and they may or may not be married, you know, maybe single moms, but they have to, you know, to negotiate that whole thing too. Yeah. So they may not want to live, um, you know, in a rural setting. And so we have that problem with uh, nurse practitioners and physicians as well. Our rural areas are becoming um, less available to healthcare, um, which is really um, unfortunate because we have a lot of people in in great need in those rural settings. Yeah, I thought, and I, I was under this impression that with the new healthcare, you know, initiatives that are coming out, that a lot of this would be pushed to nurses. A lot of medical care would be pushed to a nurse practitioner. And which it sounds like a, they are. It sounds like we're actually probably producing more nurse practitioners than ever, and yet that might that that's still not even enough. We still don't have enough nurses. Just I'm sure at the basic at the at the entry level. Right. Well, you know, I think the other thing that you realize is that we are we are producing more nurse practitioners than ever, and that's great. Yeah. But where do those come from? Right. They come from from nurses uh, with a baccalaureate degree, mm -hmm. who are in great demand. Um, you know, at that that level, and so they go on to get a master's or a doctorate and become a nurse practitioner, and it it furthers the shortage issues. Is it is that part of the issue? It seems like um, there, so. There's an associate's degree for nursing, right? And yes. then there's a bachelorate, baccalaureate. What's the associate? Is the associate an RN? Yeah, the associate degree is a, a registered nurse, um, and they're considered the entry level into nursing practice. Um, the Institute of Medicine um, created a report, um, The Future of Nursing, in 2010, and they called for an increase of bachelor's prepared nurses. Uh, to they wanted eighty percent of the workforce um, to be bachelor's prepared hmm. because the evidence shows that bachelor's prepared nurses um, are more able to look at that big picture and be leaders and there's actually less errors um, when you have um, baccalaureate prepared nurses yeah so enter the workforce but then provide some means for them to go from that associate degree to that bachelor's it, degree. Because it, it seems like the, the associate's degree would be a great entry level. That so It seems like if you had 50,000 RNs at the associate level, you'd have more bachelor degrees in nursing. So it seems like we should be pushing more associates. But it yeah. almost sounds like we're pushing more Bachelors. Yeah, I think what we're really pushing is that uh, nurses go who are who are at that associate level 
go back. Go back and, yeah. and continue their education. Nursing is so complex. Yeah. And, um, and high tech. And specialized, too, I guess, more than ever before. Absolutely. And so it's difficult, um, you know, at a minimum level to take care of these complex patients. You know, the patients in the hospital now, um, you know, are much sicker than they ever were. Um, the When I first started nursing practice in the 80s, um, the kind of patients that we took care of, um, those are all at home, you know, receiving home care. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, you have to be pretty sick to be in a hospital these days. And that's why um, they're pushing for more education. It's a safer place when you have uh, more highly educated people. But then, you know, you have that whole issue of it takes longer yeah. to prepare a nurse um, with a bachelor's degree as well. Right. So I guess in the end, this is this is a problem that you can't just throw money at because we've created a system that's that's kind of upside down. We don't have faculty. I'm sure the universities would love to put more people through and help. Oh, absolutely. You just can't find the staff. Every year when we uh, admit to the, the BYU program, um, it just breaks my heart. Oh, I bet. It, it is so difficult and, and often I'll say, you know, oh, I wish we could admit more. But, you know, it's not only the faculty but it's also the clinical sites. Yeah, that's right. Um, every nurse um, in, in nursing school has to go out, you know, and have that clinical experience. I mean, you know, it's essential. And there are actually so many schools, you know, the associate programs and baccalaureate programs that we're competing for sites at the hospitals, the nurses are overworked and they just can't take one more student, yeah. you know. And so it's just – it's this conundrum. It's like, well, we can't, we can't <laughs> increase our students even if we could increase our students. Yeah. Our barrier is really clinical sites. You can't train them faster. There's not enough. And then – it's it's interesting too, and you can't put the burden on the nurses to keep doing more, or they'll quit, and it will create more of the problem. Right, they'll quit, and and also, you know, let's ask work, nurses to work longer hours. Then yeah. they become fatigued, right. and they make errors. Yeah, you know, um, and and then you know they get a burnout, and you know, and and as the recession. Um, came, what we found was that we had nurses who were at home or working part-time. They went full-time. And so we actually, people often will say, there's no nursing shortage. I couldn't find a job. Hmm. Well, that's only because there's this fluctuation in in nursing. You have a whole bunch of people. We, we estimate about 500,000 people uh, who are in the wings, if you will, at home, not using their nursing license. Right. Like, yeah, raising a family, not sure they want to get back into the grind. Right, and how do we entice them to yeah. come back and make it worth their while, you know? And I mean, I, I do. I have a lot of friends, too, that have degrees, and they might do one or two shifts, and they might even do an overnight shift or something that pays a little better. But, yeah, they don't – they also see the stress. They see that it's so stressful that do they want to – Get back in that. Exactly. Oh, it's incredible. Let's take a break. We're speaking with Dr. Katrina Merrill here from Brigham Young University's nursing uh, school. And uh, she's she's walking us through this current day nursing um, crisis. Folks, this is your health care. And if if you're a baby boomer, you know, we've got for the next 20 years for the foreseeable future. I don't know how this changes. We'll be back. Uh, continue the discussion here with Dr. Merrill. Stick with us, folks. Doing what we can to help you live longer. One way to do that, let's uh, fix this nursing crisis. Stick with us. We'll be right back.
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Listen to these numbers. According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, 1.2 million vacancies will emerge for registered nurses between 2014 and 2022. By 2025, the shortfall is expected to be more than twice as large as any nurse shortage experienced since the introduction of Medicare and Medicaid in the mid-60s. This is not going away. It's just not going away. And uh, joining us to talk about the nursing uh, shortage, Dr. Katrina Merrill is um, a, a professor here at Brigham Young University, assistant professor of nursing. And uh, she's she's just walking us through through some of the chaos um, that is surrounding this nursing uh, shortage. Talk to us, um, Katrina. First of all, welcome back. Good Thank you. you. Thank you. It's good to be here. Talk to us about, I mean, what are the options? What do you see and what's like, for example, BYU's faculty uh, in the School of Nursing, what are, what are you trying to do? What's left to do? It seems so complicated. Well, I think uh, one of the things, so uh, BYU's College of Nursing is a baccalaureate program and the, the baccalaureate nurses um, are the leaders. And so uh, we're training future nurses to be those uh, leaders in healthcare and to um, solve some of these problems. Mm. Because not only it, it's not just the workforce issue, but it's also um, when we when we get new nurses, we lose them in the first and second year. Um, as many as 30 um, percent of new nurses uh, quit and change their their professions really because it's so stressful. Yeah, because they are, they come unprepared uh, f- for that um, the diversity that they see and the life and the death and the you know and, and so I think the other thing that we need to to consider is that uh, we as a, a as a people need to also be healthier because yeah. we're we're creating that burden. Um, you know, with the obesity and the diabetes and and all of that, we're creating that burden, and we don't see our responsibility in that. Um, th- and you know, yes, there's an aging population, and we we want people to age, and yeah. that's great. But um, people over sixty five, most of them have uh, some sort of chronic condition. Yeah, and multiple and, chronic conditions. Right, and and those all require healthcare, and so um, the demand for healthcare is increasing as well as. Uh, the need for more nurses. So we need to be better employers uh, for nurses. We need to um, create an environment where nurses will want to stay. And, um, you know, gone are the days when the nurses are treated poorly, Hmm. you know, those kinds of things. Yeah. you know, I think historically that was an issue. And now I think employers and and the whole healthcare team are – Concentrating on on the fact that we're in this together, we are a team. We're all here to help people become the healthiest they can be. Yeah. What percentage of the nurses are male, and what percentage female on average? The, the average right now, according to the American Nurses Association, is about nine percent uh, male nurses. We are seeing, you know, uh, an increase in that, and that's great. Yeah. Um, I I think the interesting thing, uh, because nursing is such a physical profession. The, one of the things, I mean, and maybe this is a little bit selfish of me, but uh, is when you have uh, male nurses, they, they really help with that. Yeah. Um, the other thing is that's interesting is, you know, when you're working in a profession, I worked at Primary Children's, and it was great to have um, 
you know, male nurses uh, with our young um, boys, you know, to help them, you know, in their illnesses. And I find that um, the male nurses are are just amazing. Yeah. And I, I wish more um, men would choose nursing. In the BYU nursing program, we actually have a little bit higher percentage. And I love to see that because they have experiences of missions and yeah. they, they speak other languages. And they are they show so much compassion to um to the elderly and they, you know, and, and a lot of them do go on to school, you know, um, on to master's degrees because they're supporting their family right. and maybe want to more money. But right now, um, nurse anesthetists, like 47% of nurse anesthetists are male. Are they? Yeah. In fact, so, I have some friends doing that. And again, these are all rigorous programs. These are – nursing is, is probably one of the most rigorous bachelor's degrees it seems like you can get. Oh, absolutely. Because um, it's science-based, but then you have the whole human side and the human sciences and the social behavior stuff. Well, and our, you know, at least our students will complain that we want a life in college. Right. And they, you know, because we do have them work in 12-hour shifts at the hospital in addition to going to, you know, to school all day. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, on one day they'll have classes the entire day and then the other day they'll be in, you know, a 12-hour shift. So it's very physically demanding. Yeah. Um, in addition to that emotionally um, demanding as well. And nursing requires uh, – one part that people don't really think about is the critical thinking aspect of nursing. You know, putting everything together and saying um, this isn't right. You know, this patient isn't looking right based on the, the data, mm-hmm. based on my experience. And um, really diagnosing, figuring it out. Yeah, knowing when to, to, to call um, someone, when to um, recognize recommend that we do something different. You know, nurses in a hospital are there with the patient 24-7. And they are the eyes and ears of everyone on the team. And to call in, you know, and work and call a team huddle and say, mm-hmm. hey, you know, what do we need to do different? And I mean, yeah, and I guess aggregate like information from all of the other nurses on staff or the thing I noticed. So I was an EMT uh, in college on an ambulance. And um, you know, a lot of the EMTs would then become EMT level twos or whatever, IV certified. Then they just kind of progressed and became paramedics. And then many of them would just go to the fire department. But it seems like there's a nice progression in the medical field where you might be able to get in and start just moving your way up. Is Do you feel like there's is, – is it easy for somebody that's been a um, – what do they call the um, – a, a certified nurse assistant – to make it to an associate RN, then to make it to a baccalaureate, then to make it to a master's. Is that a natural progression? Oh, absolutely. That you can kind of do as you're working your way up, managing your family, trying to keep everything alive. Right. And I actually think that's – actually, that's the way I started. Yeah. You know, um, it seems like I, a very natural way to do it and do it as you're – and you're already getting the experience. Like I look at the – even just – the EMTs that are working in an emergency room have got a lot of great experience that would be very helpful in the nursing program to just move up into it. It really, it really does help to have um, some experience to know that healthcare is the place for you, because you know it's you know like maybe you like science but you don't like people. Uh-huh, <laughs> that's right. not a good combination in a nurse. <laughs> so um, yeah, and I think that's where we get back to that employer responsibility, taking people that you know to be compassionate, smart individuals 
and um, optimizing that by offering tuition reimbursement mm-hmm. and and partnering um, with you know colleges and and things like that and uh, and growing yeah. growing your own if you will because um, that just seems like I, I know people that go get a job at a hospital because they know that they'll get tuition reimbursement and they can kind of move their way up. But to me too, I look at all of these CNAs out there that many of them may wonder if they could do the chemistry. They may wonder if they could actually get through some of the science. But they love nursing. Or they love being there and they want to be more than a CNA. Right, right. And that's where we need to partner with them yeah. and mentor. You know, I think that um, there, you know, there's a lot of people out there that as they listen to this, they think, well, how come I can't get into the nursing program? Mm-hmm. And, you know, what I tell people is, you know, don't give up. If you want to be a nurse, be a nurse. Figure you know, out a way. Figure out a way. Figure out a, an opening. And then continue your education because we never stop learning. Right. If I practiced the way I did when I graduated here from Brigham Young University um, – I would be very negligent. You'd be arrested. Right, right. Back in the day, from what you learned back in the day to what you learned today. Right, and that's with every profession. Mm -hmm. We all progress and grow, and so you're never done. Right. And so I think that's the beauty. That's the beauty of the nursing profession um, is that you can continue to grow. And I have loved being a nurse because um, I've been able to work full-time, part-time, not at all Mm -hmm. when my kids were little, you know. um, It fits your life. It does. It does. It also contributes to the nursing shortage (laughs) as people come in and out of the workforce. Mm -hmm. There's actually a controversy about whether there is a shortage or not Yeah. because, um, you know, if you look at some areas – um, where they have lots of nursing schools and lots of hospitals, most nurses actually they kind of stay where they graduate, and so um, there's pockets where you have an overabundance. Um, but then again, you know, out in the rural areas that aren't considered as fun to work in, um, you know, or you know, no one wants to move out there. Mm-hmm. You know, it, they really have that shortage. They don't. They also have. Um, I mean, there's other areas. There's nursing educators. There's like you were talking about, just somebody that could go out and educate people about their health. There's other areas that I, I just think of 30 percent of these nurses just kind of go into a completely different field. That's crazy. These Every one of these nurses had to be in the clinic. They had to be in touching, dealing with patients. And yet they still 30 percent opt out. Right, right, because of the stress and yeah. because we don't support that. Yeah. So there are so many options in nursing. That's what's so great about it. Right. Um, you know, today one of the the major things is like informatics and um, computer, right. you know, technology, um, electronic health records. So I'm hoping that people will take their skills, you know, like if they're interested in computer science – but they're also interested in, you know, in taking care of patients because that's a huge need. Oh, yeah. Um, this, and that's never going away, the tech side of nursing. Right. And, you know, it used to be that about 60 percent of nurses worked in hospitals. But that's changing. As we, um, you know, as we try to become healthier, we're trying to take care of people and not hospitalize mm-hmm. them and not readmit them. And so um, it used to be about 60-40. Um, now it's about 50-50. Is it really? And so nurses are going to see their roles change and be um, less acute care. But if there's so many opportunities. It's actually really fun. Yeah. I mean it's a great field. And then then there's still – it seems like the wall. And the wall is getting the degree, the certificate, getting – 
through that process. What recommendations would you give to anybody that's listening that is stuck, that you know has, has been rejected from a nursing school or two? When you say keep trying, what, what else should they be trying? Should they go to more for-profit organizations, just stick to the university's non-for-profit? Does it matter? Um, well, I think it matters. I mean, you know, for, first of all, you have to, to go to an accredited uh, right. place. Uh, you know, um, it, it's unfortunate to see people pay tuition somewhere uh. um, and find out that they're not accredited. So that's the number one thing is yeah. you need to find an accredited school. And then you need to find out what they're looking for. You know, um, if you if there are prerequisites that you need to take, take them, but do well in them. And so – yeah, you may have to take those prerequisites again mm-hmm. um, to get a better grade, to be more competitive. I think there's other things that um, nursing schools are looking for than just a grade. They're looking for that empathy. They're looking for that service. So, um, you know, go out and serve the community. Show that you are someone that we would trust taking care of, you know, my grandma, you know. Right. Um, that, I think, is is huge. And then, you know, seek scholarship support. I mean, you know, some of these programs are expensive. Um, but there's a, there are some funding out there and there's some scholarships. There's some ways – and if, you know, if all that fails, get a job like as a CNA and get some employer tuition reimbursement. But, you know, if you are that person who, who everyone wants to take care of you, you know, if you're a CNA, um, you're that person that the, the hospital or clinic is going mm-hmm. to want to support to go to school. Don't, don't give that dream up. Exactly. I mean, and that's, that's hopeful. And I guess if anybody's out there listening that's also kind of been out of the game – how do they get back in? If some of them, I'm assuming, were a, are a little fearful, like things have changed. I've been out for ten years. There are programs, um, refresher programs, um, and there's also uh, employers that are willing to work with you. You know, you say, "Hey, you know, I I want to get back in, and and how can I do that?" And there's universities that will help. Um, you know, refresh your skills. You know, I think that even if if nurses want to go part-time, you know, it, it's a it's a great way to give back, you know, and you get paid for it too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And keep, and I guess, and you keep your skills up, right? And so then you keep your licensing clean and legit, I guess. Right, right. Well, um, it's a big deal. Uh, as we kind of walk away, what should, I mean, and maybe you've already told us, stay healthy. Anything else that we can do just as regular citizens to help you know, promote this to, to figure out how we can help in the nursing shortage? I think be better consumers of, of health care. Um, know um, what, you're, what you're getting into. Um, ask questions. Speak up. Um, you know, and then encourage people um, that you know, uh, men, women, to become nurses. Choose nursing as a, a second career. Um, you know, I think really – Appreciating nurses, mm-hmm. you know, those are some of the things that we can. You almost do. don't know how great they are till you've had a bad one, <laughs> or until exactly. you don't have one. I guess exactly. Good stuff. Well, Katrina Merrill, Doctor Katrina Merrill, we appreciate you and the great work you're doing. Good luck. Uh, good luck fixing the crisis, Doctor Merrill. That's a hard, hard, uh, hard job. But uh, thank your nurses, folks. We ought to just have a nurse appreciation day. Absolutely. Everybody, hug a nurse today. That's what we're going to do. We'll take a break, uh, come back, continue 
this first hour, figure out uh, other things we can do to, to live a healthier lives. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, when you think about your own uh, professional life, don't you remember being a college student and you thought, I really want to be a nurse. I want to be a nurse. And then you go take a chemistry class and you're like, I hate nursing. So all of a sudden there's a huge shortage. It's not going away of nurses. Looks like it's going to be that way for 20, 30 years. And meanwhile, we you feel completely beat down, unable, incapable of passing the chemistry requirements to get into the program. What do you do? Do you remember that disheartening feeling when you realize maybe I just can't be what I want to be? Well, or maybe you can. Maybe you just find another way to do it. Maybe you, you know, you get into the field and you maybe you have to take that chemistry class two or three times to get in. But in the end, it seems like we could, you know, you got to know what your dreams are. You got to know what your goals are. And I just believe there's certain people that are called that are incredibly apt, able people to, that make a perfect nurse. So if you are one of those people, just go do whatever you can to, to be what you want to be. And that's in any field. You you can make anything happen if you're if you really want to make it happen. It just at some point jobs are hard, I get it. And I mean I, I know people that took the MCAT for medical school two or three times. It's not ideal. I get it. Took three years longer to get in. I get it. But if that's really what you want to be, be it. Or find another way to get into the same field and do the same thing. I never, ever wanted to be a therapist because I learned about Freud and I thought those people are messed up. <laughs> so I don't do therapy. I do more coaching and got as many as much information and education I could about humans and human development. So I compensated by going into a different area and it just so happens now that a lot of people go to coaches instead of therapists. But I also feel like I'm pretty well trained to do it. So – Figure out a, a, a workaround, right? Get to get to the solution. And if it's just, you know, an associate's degree in nursing or a bac- baccalaureate, it's a very hard word to say, or just a nursing practitioner. Interesting stuff, folks. Man, it's the last thing we need is a shortage of nurses. We'll take a break. Hour number one of the Matt Townsend Show. It's in the can. Stick with us. We'll be back next hour. More tools, more ideas to help you find the good in the world. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. This is the show where we bring you uh, the tools, the information you need to live a healthier, happier life. 
top of the morning to you. We've got a great uh, guest coming up in just a few moments. Um, Dr. Amy Cuddy will be joining us. Amy is a professor uh, on faculty at Harvard University and is an expert in um, nonverbal communication, right? Is that the best way to say it? I mean, she reads your body language. She's going to talk to us about the latest and greatest research. By the way, if you like TED Talks, which I do, she um, happens to be the number two most watched TED Talk of all time. That's a big deal. Big deal. So uh, we're honored to have her coming up in a few moments um, where all she's going to talk about power poses, which Ben does all the time. But the research yeah. shows being in – Ben does the Wonder Woman pose. I mean there's a lot of poses you could do that they have found pr- and, and have been able to prove um, that increases your testosterone and your ability to deal with stress hormone. Um, ben does – of all of them, Ben does the Wonder Woman. Which is where you stand with your chest out and your hands, your hands on, your, on hips. your hips. Yeah, I wouldn't care. I don't. I mean, I don't care. Take do the Wonder Woman, whatever. But when he sings Wonder Woman, when he sings that mm-hmm. and does that, that weirds me out a bit. It's yeah. it sounds weird, but it, it really does increase my confidence. So does, does yeah. it? Yeah, hmm. that's good. You should try it. No, oh no, I should. There's a lot of things I should do. <laughs> I'm just not gonna do it. I can do a Wonder Woman pose. Come do on. You, um, does it increase your, your confidence? Well, that's what the research shows. It should. Yeah. A lot better than the Superman pose. Yeah. I don't even know how to do that one. Yeah. I'll show you later. Don't you think it's weird that when he runs around, like the office, yelling that? Wonder Woman. Yeah. He gets some looks. Again, HR sent me a notice. Did they too? Yeah. Supposed to monitor if it becomes a problem. Well, I think it is a problem. Well, they're saying that just because it's awkward doesn't mean it's an HR issue. I feel like HR has been following me around lately. Well, there's a lot of lines that you're bumping up against. If you cross them, it's an issue. And apparently I'm supposed to be the eyes and ears down here. So So am I just like inching on the lines? You're really close. Okay. I haven't seen you violate anything. No one's reported any sort of... Mm. Unfortunate situations, but uh, what? 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 Do you, do you know of something, Matt? Every day. Should we talk later? We'll talk later. Okay. Off air. They said documentation is the most important part of this process. Oh, I've got video and fo- photos. Okay. You won't believe this. He yesterday he magic lassoed me and tried to get me to tell the truth. Really? Yeah. I don't even know what that is. And then he said, "Come out, come out." Come out to the parking lot. I want you to fly away in my jet. But of He's course, you a, couldn't see it. Couldn't see it. It's invisible. I'm like, where's your jet, Ben? He's like, it's right there. Can you not see it? It's invisible. Which always confused me about Wonder Woman. Yeah. Because in some instances, she can fly by herself. In the jet, you mean? No, not in the jet. She just flies like Superman. Well, duh. She's Wonder Woman. Well, I know, but does she fly? Or does she need an airplane? What's I mean? If you did the power pose all day, yeah, you could do anything you want to do. So we'll we'll monitor the possible HR violations. Get on it. Get okay. on it. Hey, I got to tell you this. This is a new study I found. Ooh. They figured out why men overeat. Because we're hungry? No. We like food? No. Well, yeah, okay. but no. Oh, okay. But according to professors at Cornell University, they overeat mm. because they they want to impress women. That's what I read, yes. Now that, now that you're reading this, it makes sense. 
They want to impress the lady folk. I asked my wife if, if me eating more food any way impresses her. <laughs> she says no. I think she's lying. But see, the, she, yeah, she's not seeing the evolutionary I mean, I think, psychology. I think she's like, wow, did he just put away that quarter pounder. That was pretty nice. Did you see that? That was good. She's yeah. trying to wow. brag about my... You downed that. Yeah. I could do it in like four bites. So the, the, they did a study. One of the studies was at an all-you-can-eat pizza place. And they found out that if, an, if a guy goes to an all-you-can-eat pizza place and there's a lady there and he's with a lady oh, okay. and he's like on a date, uh, he eats more pizza. So is it like you're going you're, – you're there and you see that she has maybe one piece so you take two. Yeah. Just so you have more because, you, you know, you're the guy. Well, yeah. And is she – what if she has six? You have 12. 93% more pizza, 86% more salad if they were there eating with a woman. Hmm. Isn't that weird? More salad? Yeah. Are you wasting your time on salad? Herbivore. Man. You have pizza right there. It's like a decoration. Yeah. It's just there as a suggestion. <laughs> Researchers said their observation of men eating heavily is sensibly viewed in an evolutionary perspective as men showing off. Hmm. They're basically trying to prove to the lady folk that they can store more energy for winter in their energy storage unit, which we call their gut. Interesting. So they don't freeze during the winter? Yeah. Sometimes I do that. Like I'll run up to my wife and I'll like grab my gut and I'll jiggle it and I'll like, you impressed? <laughs> I'm good for the winter. <laughs> Daddy's storing away the energy for the winter. And then she's like, huh, go away. The, some of the recent work ex- also explores the possibility that eating spicy food is another way to show off because it's a sign that you have a higher tolerance for painful things. I find most food kind of bland. Yeah. So I use hot sauce because it kind of, you know. But have you seen these guys that are like, seriously, I'll take the hottest, I'll take the hottest wings you've got. Well, yeah. And the next thing you know, you look over and their nose is running and their eyes yeah. are running. And you know the ladies next to them are like, oh, you are so hot. Do you want a Kleenex? On evolutionary terms, Wow. Do you, what wanna, they're saying. do you want to blow your nose? But there's a female version of this too where they are able to down a lot of food but still have, you know, be a size two. Well, there's and guys, right? guys look at them like, wow, you're like me. You you store energy but you're only a two, hmm. size two. So this, this isn't just a male thing. Sad. But now next time your wife's like, ooh, honey, don't overeat. Say, do you not understand how impressive this is? Do you know how this many women would instinct. love me for this? <laughs> yeah, it's not going to work. Love these excuses. Like, chocolate's healthy. Mm-hmm. Let's do this. It's Let's good. Let's do this thing. It's also National Pancake Day. It is because a certain restaurant says so. Mm-hmm. But we- that's okay because everyone can enjoy a pancake. Yeah. And but it's an international authority. Allegedly. It's an international <laughs> It's an international <laughs> expert. Uh, an authority on pancaking has now declared today National Pancake Day. We have a producer. Mm-hmm. She does not like pancakes, waffles, <gasps> French know. toast. I know her. Just you're a monster. I was talking with her about this yesterday, and I was just I was deeply offended. But I think she also doesn't like children. Well, cats, bunnies, yeah, rainbows, rainbows, a or general leprechauns. sense of happiness in life. <laughs> so we'll, we'll we'll help her out. We won't name names, but she's incredibly nice um 
International Women's Day also today. Celebrating um, women worldwide. Worldwide. <sighs> Apparently National Men's Day or International Men's Day because people at 6 a.m. were already annoyed with all the International Women's Day tweets. Oh, really? So they – On Twitter. So Men's Day they went and found it's in uh, November 19th. Yeah. So we can prepare for that. But until then, let's just celebrate International yeah. Women's Day by downing some more food and storing more showing energy off, for the Showing winter. off as much as possible. Hot food. <laughs> Anyway, let's get to the headlines, Terry. What's going on around the rest of the world? Thanks, Matt. Nine people were injured Monday night when a Bay Area commuter train derailed in a heavy rainstorm and fell into a swollen creek after it struck a tree that had fallen onto the track. Authorities at the crash scene said it was an absolute miracle that no one was killed, though four passengers sustained serious but not life-threatening injuries. According to the Alameda County uh, Fire Department, there were 214 passengers on the train when it went off the tracks while traveling through Silicon Valley from San Jose to Stockton. It's part of the uh, kind of they're, – they're blaming some of the high levels of water right now on El Nino hmm. and the seasonal rains that are Always coming through the area. Always blame El Nino. So. Uh, Republicans will vote today in Idaho, Michigan, and Mississippi primaries, and the Hawaii Republican Caucus or caucuses. The Democrats in Michigan and Mississippi are also holding their primaries. Michigan is the big prize today. Trump enjoying a 13-point lead. Clinton up by 27 po- points in mm. the latest polling. Wow. Mitt, Mitt Romney's pleas to Republican voters last Thursday to ditch Donald Trump did more to boost the Republican frontrunner than curtail his rise. A new poll out uh, today reveals the poll by Morning Consult finds that post-Romney speech, 31% of Republican voters are more likely to back Trump, despite Romney's urgings that the prospect for a safe and prosperous future are greatly diminished. Well, isn't 31% down from where he was? Because many are saying Trump has plateaued. Well, what they're saying overall is that uh, 31% of Republicans are now more likely to back Trump. So it's not overall. It's just now they go back and the numbers have risen. Hmm. Uh, So only 20% of Republican voters said they're less likely to vote for Trump after Romney's speech. Among those voters who already support Trump, Romney's efforts backfired even more. 56% of Trump supporters say they are now more likely to vote for Trump with only Mm. 5% saying they'd be less likely to vote for Trump. So not necessarily the effect he was looking for. Ted Cruz sees his support growing and cautions groups trying to force a contested convention. We're seeing people come together because they're recognizing that their candidates were not in a position to beat Donald. If a bunch of Washington dealmakers try to step in in a brokered convention and steal the nomination, I think we will have a manifest uprising. You asked uh, last hour what the importance of you have Michigan, and we had a, a clip from uh, Trump about Ohio and Florida, that if he wins Ohio, that's big. If he wins Ohio and Florida, that's huge. Yeah. Or as he said, huge. Huge! Um, but it would be because... If you if he doesn't win, if there's another candidate that steps in and wins Florida, another one that wins Ohio, that's where you get that track to a contested convention. Right. And then comes the problem of can you do things in the background to manipulate it? And then are voters mad because someone just took away their vote? Right. As the establishment gets their candidate hmm. through the contested convention. Oh. And that's where you get this manifest, you know, protest thing that uh, Ted Cruz is talking about. Right. Which I think would make for great TV. Well, it seemed like Donald's like, I'll support, I'm going to support somebody in the next few weeks. And it very well could be Theodore Cruz, Mm -hmm. which everyone would be like, but I thought Romney was an establishment. But if that were the case, he would support Kasich or Rubio. Yes. 
I think they're going to get behind the cruise. Or as he said in the speech, there's Trump and then there's three other candidates that he thinks would do great as president. <laughs> so we'll see what happens. Crazy time. Um, a new app, something you can try out on your phone, Matt. What? Co-founders had to rebrand People, P-E-E-P-L-E. That's the app, right? P-E-E-P-L-E, to ensure it was yeah. a positive-only app after it became the most hated app on the internet. The service will now be used to recommend people rather than just rating them. It's described as the Yelp for people. Okay. So you know somebody, you jump on the app, you put their name in, and you rate them. Could you wow. see any problems with that? Oh, just a few. <laughs> so last October, the two co-founders introduced the app as a platform where users can rate anyone they know and interact with frequently, which the internet interpreted as a real-life burn book. Hmm. You hate somebody, you go on there and you rip them. Yeah. You make fun of them. You, you, you put up embarrassing things. Within hours, People was being criticized all over Twitter. Now, after six months of rebranding, the app was launched as a net, social networking reputation app with anti-abuse and accountability features baked right in. Don't go near it. No, stay away. Just stay away from it. <laughs> if we all just ignore it and look away, it's going to die. They said they improved on security and privacy, which means that only people who sign up for People will be able to review and get reviewed by others. So you have to actually sign up for the service for someone to rate you. Hmm. Right? So you can't just randomly pick somebody and rate them. They have yeah. to be on the service. Right. So if nobody signs up for the service, it'll all go away. The original version allowed anyone to get reviewed without their consent. Wow. Which is highly problematic when you're talking about bullying and public shaming and all these sorts of ideas. Crazy. They basically made an app to do that. Mm-hmm. And now they fixed it. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> that would have been interesting to just let that roll out and see what happened. Right. I, I'm going to bet somebody would have been hurt. Definitely. Some way. Physically, emotionally, emotionally monetarily, whichever. Mm-hmm. Would have gotten ugly. Excellent stuff, folks. We will take a break. When we come back, we're going to be diving in headfirst into your body language and how it shapes who you are. Dr. Amy Cuddy will be joining us, uh, Harvard um, professor at the Harvard Business School who uses experimental methods to investigate how people judge and influence each other and themselves. If you have been wanting to improve uh, your ability to influence others and, you know, improve your own power with others, this may be the key, folks. Research-based body language work. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. You know, what if you could strike a pose and feel more powerful or confident? What does your smile say about you? And uh, what if you could, you know, in a job interview, just simply produce or position yourself in a better way so you felt more confident going in and not even just more confident going in, but that you you gave off a better impression of confidence, feeling better having others sense that you're more confident, that is the power of some of this uh, nonverbal and body language tools that uh, our next guest has been researching extensively. Her name is Dr. Amy Cuddy. She's an associate professor at Harvard Business School, and her popular TED Talk, Your Body Language Shapes Who You Are, has over 30 million views. It's one of the top-viewed TED Talks, and we're honored to have her on the phone. She joins us now live from Boston. Dr. Cuddy, welcome to The Matt Townsend Show. 
Thanks so much for having me. Great having you. I loved your TED Talk, and I love this topic. We've had people come on the show before and talk about, like, power poses, which is a big part of, I know, that TED Talk you did. But your research is 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 a lot deeper than just a pose, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and I, that's you know what I what I talk about in my my new book, Presence: Bringing Your Boldest Self to Your Biggest Challenges. So that's really the the work that I've been that I've been thinking so much about lately. Uh, and certainly, you know, holding a certain pose for a couple of minutes can make you feel better. But I think that understanding the deeper principles of the self and uh, how we behave in situations that seem threatening versus uh, situations that seem safe is really useful to understanding how to bring our best self to those stressful situations. Talk to so us about really what this book is about. Well, and talk about it. How, how did how did you get into it, Dr. Cuddy? Because it's I mean, you're at Harvard Business School and but this is about influence, really, right? This is about your confidence and your ability to influence and get results. Um, it's funny. I wouldn't actually say that, even though I, I, I think I started uh, from from that point, um, what I learned through kind of the process of writing the book and and looking at this huge range of of research is that what really it's about is leaving these stressful situations feeling that you've been seen, hmm. feeling that you showed people your true best self, so your you know your your sort of kindest self and your strongest self, and. If you leave these situations like job interviews feeling that way, you can live with whatever the outcome is. Now, the funny thing is that the outcome is actually likely to be better. If you leave feeling that way, you probably also performed better. So they're not unrelated. But to me, the focus is much more on a quality of life dimension that's not just about winning. Yeah, that's right. About knowing that you've represented yourself. Because how many times, yeah, does that happen where we feel like, uh I was so off. Oh, I just wasn't exactly. myself. And this is so you're yeah, saying well, I it's more said this two minutes ago. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, and just knowing you you left it all there and it, and you did all you could. That's right. I mean, that's that's really what people want to. That's that's what gives people a sense of peace and satisfaction when it comes to these big challenges. You know, they just yeah they even and it could be something like. Um, conflict with a family member, people, which, you know, really isn't about winning. People just want to feel that they, they, uh, that they were seen and that they saw the other person accurately and that the, there's a sense of peace and understanding when they leave that situation, hmm. right? So there are just so many situations that aren't about a concrete outcome uh, of winning and losing. And, uh, and even ones that are ultimately are really more about knowing that you did your best. Well, and it seems like to me, if inside of my head, I'm going to use these, uh, you know, kind of these skills to to manipulate, not that's a bad word, but to, to close the deal or to get my win, it probably will influence how you see me. Yeah. In fact, I mean, the, the, you know, one of the things I say is that people spend so much time thinking about the impression that they're making on others. And they don't manage the impression that they're making on themselves. And by focusing on impression management as, you know, if I act this way, they'll think this of me. It just, first of all, you know, it's a little bit inauthentic, well, it's definitely inauthentic and dishonest. Yeah. But that's not even my biggest problem with it. My biggest problem with it is that it's just ineffective because people cannot manage all of the, first of all, you don't know what they think of you. 
You know, and you, you should not ever try to adapt who you are to what you think someone else wants. You know, you should you, you need to be true to your core values. And, and when you feel confident and powerful enough to do that, you are able to reveal that true self. So by managing, worrying, not, not even worrying, but by focusing more on how we see ourselves, knowing who we are, knowing our story, believing our story, we're much more compelling to other people because they then know that they're seeing something real. Mm. When people know that they're seeing something that's forced or faked or choreographed, you know, they don't like it as much. They don't find it convincing. There's some visceral reaction that tells them, I don't totally trust this person. And if you've lost them at trust, there's no way you're going to influence them. That's huge. And that's a big part of, I know what you teach, that trust is like, I don't know, I can't remember what you call it. It's like the currency. It's the yeah, it, it's, it's, it's the conduit of influence. That's it's a like, conduit. Like the medium through which ideas travel. It's Without it, you could have the best idea in the world and no one is going to hear you mm. because they don't trust you. If they, feel they don't, they, if, you, if they feel that you're not being authentic and that you haven't taken the time to understand who they are, they see your, any strength that you have, like a great idea, isn't a gift. It's a threat. Right. You know, it's, it's not something that they're open to. It's, they, they don't want to hear that from you until they know that you have their best interests in mind. Huh. It's, it really is. It's kind of a subtle – it's the conduit. If, and if we don't get it, then we go in and we fake. And it's almost like we learn this – is this just inherent human nature that we learn to kind of fake what the crowd wants us to be? So be fake. Um, Where do we learn I that? Think, well, I think that we're taught that. I mean, I think that there's a lot of you know, a lot of the sort of leadership books and books in the sort of self-help genre for a while were focused on you know how to influence people, and it was it was again it was very much the focus was on um, manipulating some aspect of yourself to influence people or, or to exploit some characteristic of other people to, to influence them. It was also sneaky and Machiavellian. Yeah. You know? And uh, I, so I think we, we learned that in a very explicit way, at least in Western culture. Uh, I, I'm not sure that we're born wanting to do things that way. So you think you want to just be you, why, right? And part of why it doesn't work is because I don't think it's in our nature to um, you know, try to manipulate every aspect of the situation to our advantage. Hmm. It's just, it's not natural. Is it? I mean, it's, I look at my young kids, 10-year-olds, 13-year-olds, and I think, because, you know, they're all, they are all kind of now in the, thrown into the midst of these gamesmanship and social weird thing. Like, hey, dad, I got to have these shoes. I got to have these shoes because these shoes will make me I more know. obviously in the group. Where, where does... I mean, where does that come from? I guess the same thing. That's really, yeah, it's really tough. I, I, I mean, I have a 13 year old, and I, I think he's very self aware. But of course, he's, you know, he's still susceptible to those things too. Sure. We do talk a lot about it. You know, what, is it really what you like, or is it what you think somebody wants? And, you know, will you feel like yourself if you wear them? Like, what happens with him often is that he'll say, "It doesn't really feel like my style," and. So he ends up backing down from buying, you know, wanting to buy this this pair of shoes. Yeah. 
because he realizes that even if he wore it, he would feel phony, and he hates feeling phony. I, I think most people do. I think he's particularly in touch with that, but, but I think most people don't like feeling phony. And certainly kids are learning this. Um, I'm not sure that they're learning it at a younger age, but I do think social media speeds things up. It's, you know, the, 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 the amount of feedback that you're getting from other people, that what other people think of you mm-hmm. is happening just at breakneck speed now. So imagine like a child trying to be him or herself, but they're Snapchatting with, with somebody. And, you know, if they don't hear back from them in four seconds, they think they've been rejected. <laughs> or if they don't get 100 likes on Instagram in the first minute, they think they've been rejected. There is an enormous amount of information, feedback information that they're taking in from other people and then trying to adjust to match that, whatever that expectation is and to, to exceed what they did the last time. But it, nothing is about self-reflection. Huh. It's all about what they're getting back from other people or not getting back from other people. There, there's no time for them to sit and be quiet and think. You know, it's really sad. Is, <laughs> it's really troubling to me. Your book, Presence, it, I mean, pre- being present, I, I'm assuming, and being in the moment would in, would enable would enhance our ability to self reflect and yeah, to and to evaluate when, when, the data. That's right. Or to or to say that this data that I'm getting in from other people. Um, it, so here's here's one thing that happens. So when we're present, so when we're able to, you know, the way that I think of it is you are you are you are in tune with your best self and able to bring that best self forward in a confident and comfortable way. You're not feeling threatened. So as a result, your brain is open to hear what's actually happening and not necessarily what people think of you, but just what they are thinking in Mm. general. And so then you can respond not to what you worry might be happening, but to what is actually happening. So one of the greatest teachers I've had, I said to her once, when did you realize you, and you know, she, she teaches teachers. She's a fantastic teacher. And I said, when did you realize you're a great teacher? And she said, I knew I was competent at this. Like, I, you know, I knew that this was not something that was hard for me. But the moment when I knew I had switched from a good teacher to a great teacher was when I was in class and I realized that I was no longer worrying about what they thought of me. I was just paying attention to what they were thinking. Hmm. Right? So it wasn't, it, it wasn't the self-focus Oh, what do they think of me? It was, well, what do they think about the material? And what about this material is, you know, resonating with them or not resonating with them? And so that's about being in the moment without fear, is there, or, or at least with courage. When we have that kind of courage, it frees up our working memory, which is the part of memory that integrates new information with old information and allows us to respond effectively when we're present, working memory is much, much more available to us. We become more creative. We become just generally sort of less anxious and less threatened. We become more optimistic and confident. Uh, we're more likely to see challenges not as threats but as opportunities. It's just this cascade of good things when we're feeling present. And, and, and if we can – that is – wow. That's like yeah. – that, that's that's – that's the deal maker in all of life, right? That makes that would make our love better. That would make our our studies better, our confidence, our relationships, our our everything we do would be at a higher level just when we get over ourselves. 
That's right. And, you know, sometimes I say sometimes we have to get out of our we have to get get out of the way of ourselves so that we can be ourselves. Yeah. You know, we, we, it's sort of like we're the ones it's our it's our sort of ruminations. And, you know, uh, one, one thing they call, they call it post event processing. So after you leave a situation and you can't stop thinking about it, mm-hmm. what you should have done differently, those things get in the way of us being present in the next moment. Right. So we're so frustrated that we weren't present in the last moment that now it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy <laughs> yeah, that all day you're just forcing cycle oh, yeah. yeah we've all done that where we then sat up and we thought oh i didn't even answer that person's question you know have yeah, you ever done that exactly. like you just realized oh, five hours definitely. later that you just walked away without answering yeah the you did or you did yeah you answered the question you wanted to answer uh-huh. the one that was actually being asked and yeah i've, I've had that happen for sure i oh. I, I you know it's not like you ever get over this completely. You just learn to do it better. And I think that's another really important part of the message. It's that no one ever reaches some permanent, you know, monk-like state of presence, not even a monk, because monks are human and humans cannot be present all the time. Yeah. Some people are, you know, work at it uh, for a long time and are able to spend more of their lives in that psychological present moment. But most of us are going to be distracted. Thoughts are poking through, you know, other duties are, you know, calling. And it's just, it's just, sorry, it's very, very hard. It's it's very, very hard for us to be, uh, yeah, to to, to be present all the time. So we we really need to focus on the next moment. So we need to focus on the moment in front of us, not on uh, a moment a year in the future. Or, you know, we, we can't have these big, long-term, abstract goals that are focused on what we want to rid ourselves of. We need to focus on, you know, the process uh, that we're going to be involved in in the next moment. So let mm. me just give you a quick yeah. example. Um, one of the, you know, I, I get thousands of emails from people. And they tell me these stories about their challenges and how they, how they interacted in those moments, how they felt when they left. And, you know, most people walk into these situations with dread and they execute them with a kind of anxiety and they leave them with a feeling of regret. And I want people to not leave with that feeling of regret. So this young man, his name is Will Cuddy. He's not related to me, mm. but he's a young actor in Oregon. And he, his agent called and said, you need to try out for this role in a feature film. It's going to be filmed in Oregon, and um, they want a young, outdoorsy guy, and you're perfect for the role. And he thought, there's no way. Like, I've done a couple of acne commercials as a kid. You know, I'm not ready to do a feature <laughs> film. So he goes, but he's confident as a person in general. And that's important. It's, it's, this book is not for people who are never confident. It's right. for all of us who have these moments of self-doubt. So he gets there. He looks around the room at the people in the room and goes, oh, no way. Like, there's no way that I should be here. And he immediately is flooded with self-doubt. So he, uh, he says, I remember that my friend told me that if I ever get nervous, I should stand in a bathroom like Wonder Woman for two minutes and it would make right, me feel right. better. He said, I knew no, I, I had no idea where it came from or what, why it was supposed to work, but I did it. And I came back out. And, you know, of course, he's referring to the power of hosing research. Right. He looks around the room and now he sees these guys not as competitors, but as just other humans who are in the same position he's in. You know, who are who are striving to do well, um, and who are probably feeling a little nervous too. So he goes into the audition and feels 
that is one of the most, you know, happy, um, sort of liberated, fun moments of his life. He just enjoys it so much. He thinks, you know, I'm not going to get the role, but wow, what a cool experience to have had. You know, this, and so he's engaging with the director and the casting people, and he said it was the best audition of his life. So he leaves, and his dad says, his dad's there, which I think is very sweet, and his dad says, how'd it go? And he said, I nailed it. Hmm. And his dad said, of course. He said, so you got the role? And he said, oh, I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, no. Great. I just, so he, he almost forgot about the outcome. That's it great. wasn't about a New Year's resolution. It wasn't about the concrete outcome. He was so in the moment that that was the sense of satisfaction that he had. Now, he, of course, got the role because he was he so killed it. Yeah. In the movie, you can actually see him in the movie Wild. He is one of the young hikers that she meets at the end of the trail. Oh, that's great. Uh, so, and he even gets a credit. But that happened not because he was working so hard to be his very best. It, it happened because he was able to be present. Right. Oh, Amy, this is awesome. Let's take a break. I, I want to come back and have you teach us m- more of how our body language, like that's a great example of just doing our body going into like a, the power pose, for example, naturally will set us up to feel some more power. And I want you to give us more tools to do that. Dr. Amy Cuddy is joining us, author of the book Presence, Bringing Your Boldest Self to Your Biggest Challenges. She's, uh, she's helping us uncover how to be present and, and really in our power, in our confidence, so that, so that we can leave the best on the table and not walk away wondering, oh, I blew that or thinking we had blown it. We're going to come back, continue the discussion. We're also going to come back and talk about that feeling that most of us have every once in a while where we just feel like a fake, where we feel like a fraud. She's got some insight into that that uh, is so powerful. Stick with us, folks. This is The Matt Townsend Show, helping you find the good in the world. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. On the line with this, Dr. Amy Cuddy, uh, who is, um, you know, she's she's the expert. Now, I'm sure she'd hate to hear that. Uh, Amy Cuddy works at Harvard Business School, a professor there, also is the author of the book Presence, Bringing Your Boldest Self to Your Biggest Challenges. She's teaching us today about how to use our, our body language to actually create the confidence we need to deliver at our highest level so we can feel good about what we've done. Um, Dr. Amy Cuddy, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Hey, talk about Steve Colbert. You go on the Steve Colbert show, you walk out there. I mean, I can only imagine that's got to be terrifying, but you walk out there and strike a confidence pose, uh, <laughs> just stretch out on the couch and nail it. Uh, well, it's funny. I didn't really mean to stretch that much, but it, it, of course, elicited this, 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 you know, response in him uh, that was, pretty, and it sort of went from there. Yeah. One of the things I was told uh, when preparing for the interview by the producers was, you know, be prepared for anything. <laughs> I think that's how you go into that show. Yeah. You know, being open to uh, allowing him to be funny because that's what people want to see. Right. You know, they want to see him be himself. Well, now let me ask you because after that, 
um, did you feel like you left it all there? Did you feel like you left your best self there? Um, I felt like I did the best given the circumstances. Yeah. So I felt like, well, I wish he had asked me these other questions where I could have, you know, dug into the content of the book more. That's not, that's not where he was. Right. So I, I did feel that I was able to respond to what was happening, not what I wished had happened. Hmm. And, and so, yeah, I guess I would say, do I wish the whole thing had been a little bit different? Probably, but that would have required me to have control over another person, which I don't have. Yeah. So I, I had decided in advance that I would allow myself to go in whatever direction he took it. You know, I knew that he, he, wasn't, he had no sinister intentions. Like he, no, he didn't want he's to having fun. Yeah, and he's learning. Doing. Yeah, exactly. So if that, if he's going to be having more fun than being serious, that's fine. So yeah, I think I, I felt pretty good about it. <laughs> oh, I think you're great. And and two, this is the neat thing about this is you you yourself have done the same battle that most I guess of us have, the humans have, where we lack confidence. You you tell a story in your TED talk about when you finally I think it was, I can't remember if it was at Princeton or Harvard where you finally made it there and you felt like a fraud. <laughs> You felt like, yeah. do they not know yeah. that I'm a fake? Talk about that. Definitely. I mean, I, it was, you know, when I started at Princeton as a grad student after, you know, having had this head injury and barely making it through college, I, you know, you know, it took me four extra years to finish college because of the head injury. So I did not think I belonged there. And I thought, there's no way I'm going to keep up with these people. And it's just a matter of time. You know, I'm just... I'm just, you know, like waiting for the other shoe to fall, um, for them to find out that I'm that I would, you know, I was an admissions mistake, which mm. I think a lot of people feel, yeah, uh, have, or or that I was a hiring mistake. You know, these people are smarter than I am, so it was definitely a, a state of mind that I inhabited for a long, long time, and it 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 forces it, it kind of takes you hostage and makes you avoid challenging situations because your your every challenging situation when you feel like an imposter is a potential opportunity for you to be found out by other people mm-hmm. right so as long if if you're exposing who you are somebody might come in and go up oh, she's a phony we're kicking her out you know, so, so that's how i approached i think everything um and you know my advisor sort of pushed me at one point when I was about ready to quit out of fear to sort of fake confidence. She didn't say it exactly like that, but she was saying, look, you have the knowledge. It was was the night before I was giving a talk to the department. She said, you have the knowledge. The thing in the way is just your confidence. And so you're going to have to fake the confidence part Hmm. to yourself. And, and, uh, and, give the talk and it's probably not going to be great, but it's going to be fine. It will be competent and it will get easier every time because the more you do it, the easier it becomes. We all know this. This is true. This is the way life works. Right. The more you do these challenging things, the easier they become. And so eventually it wasn't like a you know magical overnight thing, but years down the road, I looked back and went, wow, not only has this gotten much easier for me, but I actually like giving talks now. Yeah. And I never thought that that could have happened. <laughs> now so, now yeah, you're killing was, it. You know, the idea. Right. Is it? Yeah. Uh, it, is the yeah. body, you, you, in a lot of the research, it really is the body will naturally bring you a sense of calm or a sense of confidence by just simply how you present your body. 
That is right. part so, of the premise. Yeah, so it's it's true that what you know when you lack confidence and you feel powerless, just like other animals, you start to make yourself small physically. You contract, you wrap yourself, you know, up, up, you wrap your arms around your torso, you touch your face or your neck, you cover your eyes, you, you know, you, you sort of pull your knees up to in a fetal position mm-hmm. when you're really scared. When you feel powerful, you do the opposite. You expand and take up a lot of space. And so although those are outcomes of feelings, they also can be causes of feelings. So when you're feeling the stress or the anxiety, the imposter syndrome before, uh, you know, a challenging moment, you probably, your body is going to naturally collapse and make itself small. You have, you have to fight that. You have to make yourself open up, hold your shoulders open, breathe deeply and slowly, move slowly. You know, if you need to hold something in your hand to keep your arms expand, you know, extended, mm. do that. Because all of those things are signaling to your brain that you're not in a threatening situation. And it, and it doesn't matter. It, right. I guess that doesn't matter. Yeah, like you're saying, it, it, whether it's cause or effect, it doesn't matter. Your body's going to respond appropriately. That's, yeah, the body and the mind are constantly in conversation. And, you know, we, we tend to think of it as humans. We think that the body is following the mind, that we decide to do something and then we do it. The thing is, Often the body's leading the mind. So one of my favorite quotes uh, is from William James, who's the first American psychologist. He said, um, I don't sing because I'm happy. I'm happy because I sing. Hmm. So His idea, and he had many quotes like that, but was that I do things to change the way I feel. You know, I change my body so that I I can change the way I feel as opposed to the opposite. So it it works in both directions, but we tend to neglect the body-mind direction as humans. And I think partly it's because it's... it makes us feel primitive because sort of that's the way animals are, mm-hmm. and we're animals as well, but we don't want to think of ourselves as primitive. So we like to think that we can think our way out of anxiety, and we're actually really, really bad at doing that. <laughs> yeah. We're much better at giving it over to something else. That is so – it's such great advice. What um, – and just research, I think. Again, this concept of confidence – Imagine how much more we could all elevate our game, our lives, our sense of peace by 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 just understanding a few basic principles. As we as we as we wrap up today, give us what's one more thing. If there's one more thing we can do to remain present, if there's one more thing we could do to increase the ability to be confident and leave our you know let our, leave our music to be played, um, what what is that one thing? That makes the biggest difference. Oh well, I'm not. I don't know if it's the one that makes the biggest difference. It's hard on the spot to yeah. come up with that one. But let me just give you one little nugget that I think we is useful to most of us. We are constantly hunching over our phones, and you know we're holding them, and we're, our shoulders are slouched and our chins are down, and we are adopting the posture of a depressed, <laughs> sad, powerless person. And that is really bad for us. By opening up, you know, don't, you've got to get yourself out of the habit of doing that. So set reminders on your phone every hour to check your posture. Make sure you're holding your phone in an upright position. Set up your workspace so that it allows you to stretch out, to reach for the mouse, you know, things like this. 
get up and walk, walk, walk around during the day. All of those things are going to trigger effects in your mind that will make life much easier. Mm. I, and it's, I feel it. I feel, the, I feel it that way. It's, there's power in, um, in, in us and in our bodies. I, I so am excited to, to get uh, more into your work and find out more about what you're doing. Dr. Amy Cuddy, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. And uh, I, honestly, the minute you started talking, everyone sits up in our office now. We all just oh. we all we're all sitting up straighter. I mean, somebody's still doing the the Wonder Woman pose, and we wish he would stop it. Um, that's good stuff, Doctor Amy Cuddy. Everybody, go look up this book, uh, Presence: Bringing Your Boldest Self to Your Biggest Challenges. Great, uh, great insight in life. Uh, we're going to take a break. Come back, my friends, and wrap up this first hour of the show. Again, remember the goal of the show is to help you uh, live longer, love stronger, lead a healthier life. What better way to start it than with presence and confidence? Thanks to the work of Dr. Amy Cuddy. We'll take a break, folks. We'll be right back. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to your to the Matt Townsend Show. Isn't it great to, to find a leader, an expert, um, a researcher that's, that's not here to just, you know, have you win more, make more money? I mean, all of these things I'm sure could be used to do that. But just to be confident. Do you not feel more confident when you, when you know you can do the job, when you've got the skills, when you've got the ability? If all you lack is the confidence in the moment then let's just prepare ourselves a little bit better to be confident in the moment. Let's, I mean, if, if it is seriously as simple as some of uh, the research bears out, just get your chest out there, shoulders back, stand up straight, breathe, for heaven's sakes, get some air into your system, and you might have some pretty amazing, amazing things happen to you. Um, it really is, when you think about it, too, uh, it's... It's it's a, something as simple as w- just what you wear sometimes. Uh, I don't know if you heard this story out of uh, British Columbia, but there was a mayor that wore the same suit for 15 months to highlight sexist double standards. In Co- Coquitlam, British Columbia, Canada Mayor Richard Stewart wore the same suit for 15 months and no one seemed to notice. He wore it to council meetings and events. He even wore it when he was interviewed by Global News last September on a council matter. Neither his colleagues nor his public seemed to pay any mind. You know, it's a suit. It served me well, he said. But uh, Stewart didn't put on the same nondescript dark blue jacket and trousers for more than a year because he's lazy. He was trying to make a point about how men and women in the public eye are treated differently. He said, I think the point I was trying to capture is that we do seem to treat women differently than men in lots of different occupations, particularly those in public life. Women, we watch everything they wear. And we found out in other research recently, women pay more for the clothes that they wear, which seems crazy. Male male trousers, female pants, whatever. You know what? Guess what? Women are going to pay more. This, these little kind of nonverbal things that we see, just the clothes we wear, we judge each other by it. And apparently we don't judge a man the same way we might judge a female. 
but confidence is going to be there. So some of us then get our confidence from our clothes. And what Dr. Amy Cuddy was just teaching us is you might be able to just get your confidence from your pose or from what you are doing with your own body. So pay attention to how you sit. Pay attention to how you present yourself. Do you end up curling up in a ball when you hold your phone? It's something pretty simple. My son's always like, my neck hurts. Yeah, it's because you're curled up in a ball. Come on. Folks, we can, uh, we can gain some confidence just by positioning ourselves a little bit better physically. Excellent stuff. We'll take a break. That's hour number two of the Matt Townsend Show. Next hour, we'll be talking about parenting. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here. Happy National Pancake Day. Thank you, children. Uh, today we have in studio about 100 children. Do you guys think uh, Dr. Matt is really funny? They're right. not saying anything. Yeah, they're quiet. Mm. They're quiet. How about uh, Terry? Do you think Terry's great? Yep. Still nothing. Wow. Ben. Do you guys like Ben? Huh. It's weird. Interesting. It's totally weird. Let me borrow this board here for a minute. Why Why do you need the board, Matt? I'm just going to see if I can borrow it here for a minute. Okay. Now, kids. Oy vey. <laughs> this is the problem with hiring a board operator that's got an attitude. Yeah. We need to work on this, Terry. It's kind of disrespectful. It seems like this is your job. You know, I've been doing my power poses, mm. and so I'm just confident about my position and how I execute it. Yeah. We, that we she never, didn't really, you never got to delusionary thinking either, did yeah, you, no, with uh, no, our no. last guest? That would have so. been great. Yeah. It would just say delusionary thinking, a.k.a., or just see, just see Ben, Ben Wasden. I mean, you can be confident, but you also have to have some sort of idea of your specific situation. Yeah. Know your weaknesses, yeah. I like to say. See your blind spot. <laughs> Anyway, we've got a great day for you today. Julie K. Nelson will be joining us. She's going to be, um, you know, working with us. She's what we call the bomb mom, the child whisperer. She's going to help us with our our children and help us understand better how to, you know, handle and make sure that we're not being too emotionally hard on our children. Because sometimes, you know, emotional abuse happens, and you gotta you gotta stop it. We gotta create healthy kids that can have relationships going forward. So, so what, we'll get into that. What if you confuse your child instead? Is that what you do? I, I'm not going to say yeah. one way or the other. Just asking quite, I'm asking for a friend. Yeah. No. Okay. So a friend. Yeah. If you confuse them, that's probably not good. I mean, eventually you want your child to not be confused, you know? Like maybe you hit them with a negative and then you immediately follow it up with a positive. Yeah. Let's ask the ex- the expert about that. It just... Seems like it might be better to, you know, go positive and then correct. Okay. Effectively. Hmm. I don't know about that. We'll work on that. 
We'll talk to Julie K. Nelson. She will. Uh, she'll be here in a minute. Did you hear? Um, you got to be careful, folks, because you never know when something's going to to you know to to get you. Something's going to bite you. Here's a Florida man. Always. This is you know we're here to help everybody. But mostly people in Florida, it sounds like. I don't know why it is. A lot of the crimes that we talk about, um, a lot of them come back from Florida. I don't know why that is. It's not like there's more crime in Florida. Hmm. But there, there could be. Bad boys, bad boys. What you gonna do? What you gonna do when they come for you? Actually, we found out why. Why is that? The laws in Florida, when it comes to police reports and public access and media access yeah. to such reports, they're very open okay, so in you Florida. Get, you so get more. I believe there are one or two organizations who have people that just comb through all these reports and find these stories and they get retweeted, republished, re, you know, posted on social media mm-hmm. and that's where they get out. Yeah. But their, their laws, when it comes to these reports, are open, which gives us lots of access, which gives us lots of cautionary tales. Hmm. Okay. Well, that's good to know. Um, This Florida man abandoned his robbery attempt when he walked into a local 7-Eleven and found no one inside the store. Can you rob someone if no one is there to rob? Well, it it seems like, yeah, you could. He's at an empty store, grab stuff and go. Yeah, well, you think it, it's like some people fish for the fish, some people fish for sport, right? Mm. Mm. That's a, that's that's kind of deep. Yeah, I don't even know what that means. Yeah, the meaning just over my head. What he could, but he probably wanted money. He he wanted cash, not not Doritos. But you could take Doritos. You could. They're right there, I and mean, they're you, mighty tasty. You would think with the Doritos, he would use the Doritos to just simply end up buying or the cash to buy more Doritos. But Funyuns? He, or Funyuns. <laughs> he walked into a local 7-Eleven, found no one inside the store. Police in Bradenton received reports of an attempted robbery on Tuesday morning when the masked man entered about 5.44 a.m. The store clerk witnessed the masked man enter the store wielding a handgun, but told police he left the store after he looked around and saw no one was in the store. Police arrived on the scene shortly afterward, but the clerk informed him that nothing was stolen and no one was injured in the would-be robbery. The man was described as about being six feet tall, wearing a blue hoodie and blue jeans. So about yay high. About yay high. And again, I guess the advice would be if you're going to go in to rob something, before you put the mask on, just look in the store and make sure there's people. Or you can see from the street, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, someone's in there. Someone needs to assist you in the register. You need you need a lookout it. person that could say, "Hey, there's people in there." Or, you know, just grab Cheetos and get out of there. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Make it worth your while. There's all kinds of beef jerky products, and that, that's there's great advice there for the Seven Eleven clerks too. That if you see someone coming and they're wearing a mask, hide. And act as if no one is there, and then they'll probably just leave. More than likely, as, I mean, as we showcased have, in this story. We already have the data. Yeah. See, that's the information you get on this show. Again, a lot of this has to do with planning, a little forethought. Mm-hmm. Don't just run in the door and decide to, on the spot to do something. Don't, Think about it. Don't commit an armed robbery willy-nilly. <laughs> Plan. 
prepare, act. <laughs> oh, people, aren't they fun? They're just so fun. Hey, uh, anything going on in the headlines we need to pay attention to today, Terry? There is. Thanks, Matt. Republican presidential frontrunner Donald Trump holds a 13-point lead over Ted Cruz in Michigan, according to a Monmouth University poll out Monday. Among likely Republican primary voters, Trump notched 36% support. Cruz earned 23, followed by John Kasich with 21, Marco Rubio with 13%. So he's trailing big time there. And at least Rubio under the 15% threshold candidates must reach to be eligible for earning the state's at-large delegates. So Ooh. he might get nothing oh. out of that state. He needs to uh, hope for better results here. Yeah, that's On the Democratic good. side, Hillary Clinton beats Bernie Sanders 55% to 42%. Michigan voters of both parties participate in primaries today. There's Idaho, Hawaii, Nebraska, I think, is involved. So all of these uh, all these states are involved, but Michigan is the one where everyone's going to be watching. It's the, it's the, that's it's the big prize for the day. It's the big prize. And this is good. This is, you know, this is democracy moving forward. Michael Bloomberg officially decided on Monday that he would not enter the presidential race, fearing it could backfire and lead to a win by Republican frontrunner Donald Trump or second place Ted Cruz. As the race stands now with Republicans in charge of both houses, there is a good chance that my candidacy would lead to the election of Donald Trump or Cruz. Bloomberg wrote in a statement. That is not a risk I can take in good conscience. <laughs> he also assailed Trump for running a divisive and demagogic presidential campaign. I'd like to hear what Donald has to say about that. Yeah. I'm sure he's... He had everyone uh, raise their hand and pledge an oath yesterday. I think it was in Mississippi. So yeah. see what happens there. The White House said Monday Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu declined President Barack Obama's request to meet with him in Washington, D.C. later this month. White House spokesman Ned... Uh, Price said the administration first learned of the Netanyahu cancellation through Israeli media. Reports that we were not able to accommodate the prime minister's schedule are false, he said. Netanyahu's decision to nix the trip comes as the two countries grapple with negotiating a 10-year, multi-billion-dollar defense aid agreement hmm. for Israel. Ah. Tensions. Tensions always. always. An ex-money processing manager for Brinks Company in Alabama who had access to bags and bags of quarters swapped out coins for beads and made off with nearly $200,000 in 2014. Wow. This according to the FBI. Stephen Dennis, 49, had agreed to plead guilty and pay Brinks back. That's the uh, armored truck service. Brinks for the money he accused of stealing from he's accused of stealing from the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta while he worked in the Armored Transport Services uh, Birmingham branch. He uh, Brinks has already paid back the bank. Now they're looking for him to pay them back. So Brinks paid the two hundred thousand dollars back. And so his his uh, per the report, he allegedly entered Brinks on a day he wasn't scheduled to work in February 2014. Took four of the empty ballistic bags in which quarters are stored. Each holds fifty thousand dollars in quarters. Mm. He filled them mostly with beads as well as with just enough quarters so the coins could be seen through see through windows on each side of the bag. He then said to put the four bags in the corn room and at some point stole. 784,000 quarters, about 10,000 pounds worth, or the weight of a large hippo. This wow. That's, I love it when they like equate it to an yeah. animal. It's or like the weight of a large hippo. He stole a large hippo worth of quarters. Or two medium-sized The total hippos. worth was $196,000. Holy cow. In quarters. Oh, man. That's like a prank you play on a, a, you, you play yeah. on a bank when they, when they won't work with you on a loan and you walk in with pennies or something. Yeah, here's my pennies to pay my ticket. Ugh. Wow. Is that worth the effort? No. Who's got the time to do that? No. I mean, really. And then how do you unload all those quarters? 
Well, you just have to go to the arcade. I guess. You know how many hours it would take you to get rid of all those quarters? It's a lot of Pac-Man. Fencing all those quarters. But could you imagine how many tickets you'd get from all those quarters? Oh, That'd yeah. That'd be amazing. You could get the biggest stuffed animal ever, about the size of a hippo. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Anywho, hey, got a great guest coming up. One of our uh, great contributors, Julie K. Nelson, will be joining us. She's the bomb mom and the child whisperer. Today she's going to highlight uh, what they call gaslighting or emotional abuse. Talk about the effect on families and children and give us some tips about how uh, to protect the people around you from, um, from being emotionally abused. Important stuff, folks. Helping you live longer and lead healthier, happier lives. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, um, interesting story I, I wanted to bring up with our bomb mom before we bring her on. Amazing story out of Utah. Identical twin sisters from Utah each recently gave birth to identical twins. Carrie Bunker and Kelly Wall delivered twins within weeks of each other at a hospital in Orem, um, south of Salt Lake City. Years ago, they gave birth to their first sets of twins now four and five years old, at the same hospital a few months apart. Bunker's newest twins arrived February 13th. Wall's youngest twins were born about three weeks earlier. That is a lot of twins. That is. Twins having two sets of twins. And I know the Bunkers. Do you? Yeah. I know the Bunkers. I do believe. Isn't that weird? Awesome family. Utah's a small happy, town. Happy for them. That is, that is incredible. That's why we're the baby capital of the world. We just keep pumping out the... Well, if you pump out twins, twins. and sets of twins. Yeah. We do it big here. You know, it seems like twins would be a lot harder because there's two of them. Yeah. But then two sets of twins, you got four kids. Yeah. Two trips to the doctor, four kids. Wow. See, we always had a trip to the doctor that would always remind us a kid is coming. <laughs> so we, we didn't have the compounding effects. Julie K. Nelson's joining us. She is the bomb mom. She's also the author of Parenting with Spiritual Power and um, received a master's degree in marriage and family and human development. She currently teaches parenting classes, marriage and relationship skill classes at Utah Valley University. And she's here to enlighten us on emotional abuse. Mm -hmm. This is a big deal. I mean, many people wouldn't even know what emotional abuse is because they know what abuse is. But what is emotional abuse? Julie, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me come on this important topic. Um, Yeah, emotional abuse is one of the three major types of abuse. We have sex, we have physical, and we have emotional, but we don't uh, often recognize what it is because there's no scars left behind. Right. And so you can't prove anything. You can't go and show evidence. And then what happens with the emotional um, person, the victim, is that they start to question, did it even happen? Or was I, did I I interpret? that wrong yeah. or did he say is this that me? yes it's me is this him and so that's why the abuser is so good at manipulating this each scenario so that you don't think it's really them it's really you hmm. and therefore you don't really your reality changes and there's no evidence there's no scars to show yeah and but, they're long more much more long lasting than physical scars well and you're not going to get through life without emotions right and you're either going to distort them so that it seems like this would actually kind of warp 
your emotional capacity. Yeah, and dependence upon your abuser. Hmm. Because you go to the abuser for um, signs of uh, who am I? Yeah, validation. Anymore. Uh-huh. And- mm-hmm. They define who you are. Um, and because I come on with a lot of a. Um, the perspective of parenting, I want to just kind of show that there's a strong correlation in research between those who witness abuse, those children that are seeing this in, during childhood and subsequent violence towards children as they become adults. Yeah. Um, and approximately 15.5 million American children living in a two-parent household are exposed to partner violence within the past year. And 7 million of these these children witness severe partner abuse, like being beat up, choked, burned, life-threatened with a gun or knife. And women are the most often the victims. So, so these are Children watching uh, domestic violence, spousal abuse, mm-hmm. and 15 million see some form of it. 7 million see, see, severe. see severe violent. Mm-hmm. And then this impacts them emotionally. This is why, I mean, in domestic violence, there's a difference between domestic violence and domestic violence in front of a child. Yes. So the minute that the child is around, the penalties are even yeah. harsher. You're creating a whole other generation of abusers. Yeah. And because today's International Women's Day, did you know that? Yes, Happy, I, of course we've talked I want, about it. I wanted to come on and just kind of do a little bit of a plug for women because they're most often the the, the victims in this. Um, it's and, huge. And household partners are now in homes where they're not married, and those increase violent behavior. And um, mothers are unable to even provide basic um, care for their kids when they're being victimized in such a way because they're just trying to protect themselves out of safety and survival. Yeah. So the the one topic I want to talk about is they have a term for it called gaslighting. Yeah, explain um, that. Yeah. It's um, another word for emotional abuse based on the movie Gaslight. Have you ever heard of that with Ingrid Bergman? No. Who is brainwashed and manipulated by her husband and starts questioning her sanity. Um, and so the spouse is saying things like, you're crazy, you're worthless, you're a terrible wife, and much, much worse. Hmm. They may not believe that about themselves to begin with, but after so much time, it becomes part of the picture of who they are. And, you know, uh, what Robert Stern from Yale Center of Emotional Intelligence said this, when the person you love persistently tries to redefine your reality and nothing you do or say makes any difference, you begin to see yourself through their eyes. Maybe I am forgetful. Maybe I am stupid. Maybe I am crazy. You start mistrusting or second-guessing yourself. Hmm. And why would why would somebody choose... To, to gaslight? Is it just their inability to accept their own responsibility for what's going on? So they've just overwhelmed their partner and it's a control. Try to get them to. Yeah, think it's an intimidation, crazy. intimidation and control method. Hmm. And what you know, not not uh, very common. Do people in dating date someone who's telling them all these messages? Now, sometimes yeah. it just validates what they already feel, already feel about themselves. Um, but it could be that you're dating a very charismatic person, and emotional abusers are very good at being charismatic and showing a different side during dating or to the public. And so you're very attracted to this person. You fall in love with them, and then therefore love. Blind you. Mm, yeah. And then they start doing things during the dating process or after marriage where they do things where they cons- control and isolate you. Um, so it's more, uh, again, common with men abusers. But he might convince his wife to quit her job or he sabotages her so she has to quit or she gets fired. He often gets her to move away from family and friends, making him choose between – making her choose between him and her. Well, you know, you can't go to this party because I'm not going. So you have to stay home with me because, uh, you know, you can't leave me. Yeah. And um, – 
you know, one example of a husband is when he kept calling his wife, she'd go out with friends and then he'd call her home. The, the, the daughter, our daughter is having you know, trouble. She's sick or whatever. She'd come home and the daughter would be just fine. Oh, wow. Um, and then this wife said, um, on one level, I knew I wasn't crazy, but he wore me down. After a few years, I felt totally hopeless and worthless. He was literally destroying me. I started to feel like suicide was my only way out. Hmm. A lot of times they use um, in their charisma, they use things like jealousy. Um, I'm just I'm just so jealous of other people. I don't want you to spend time with them because what if they find you as attractive as I do? And then, you know, they, they don't I don't want to feel like, you know, I'm going to lose you to anybody else. And so they use this kind of the, almost like um, I'm trying to guilt you. Yeah. And so they use jealousy for control. They don't want others um, out there. So her out there. So other, others can you know fall in love with them. They don't want to lose them. They text a lot. But this it's, is all controlling. This yes. Is just manipulation. And in, in dating, this is very um, flattering for someone to be texting you all the time and telling them how much you love you and I can't live without you. Yeah. And this constant barrage of texting and messages and I want to know where you're at every moment because I just – I can't be without you. This so to some women might feel like that's a flattering thing but that is a huge red flag. Yeah, that's a sign that this is unhealthy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If they can't live without you – yeah. That's, there's a problem. Yeah, where they're so dependent upon you emotionally, and therefore I'm going to manipulate you so that you can't ever leave me. Yeah. Um, and they you know, will say things even to the point where if you left me, I would kill myself. And so they do stay because out of guilt. Yeah, I don't want, yeah, I don't yeah. want to be a part of that. Yeah. Um, so a lot of things will happen where um, even the abuser will start um, – things will start to disappear around the house, things that are valuable, and then blame it on her forgetfulness. Um, so she starts thinking she's going crazy. Um, they often t- – you start ending up – eventually down the road, start brandishing weapons. Hmm. Um, not that they do anything physical. Now, of course, physical abuse can accompany emotional abuse or gaslighting. Right. Oftentimes it does, and they start to you know do something physical. But but there are you know many cases where it's just emotional abuse, and they'll just start to you know have a gun around and put it under their pillow just to show signs of power and to make her nervous because there's a gun next to her. Or he might kind of hold it around her face and say, you know, you never know when I might need to use this sometime. Mm. You're doing that kind of intimidation yeah. type thing. Um, so um, what's interesting, Matt, is that studies show that women who are in these situations, and it also can be men, it can be reversed, so let's don't always just yeah. say it's that way, but majority, and because it's International Women Day, I want to just really highlight and empower women, that they often never leave, or if they do, it takes them about seven times Research will show seven times to finally break away for good. They'll break away, then come back, break away, then come back about seven times. Well, that's not even – many would think that's – well, come on. Just that's weak. Just go away. Exactly. But these people are that manipulative too. So they seem like they're going to change when you start going away. Okay, I'm done. I'm not doing this anymore. They might fake a change or whatever or think they're going to change and it doesn't last. Exactly. They promise that they'll make changes. That's a cycle of abuse yeah. where they apologize. That mostly happens with someone who is a physically or sexually abusing where they'll do something that's very horrific mm-hmm. and then they'll come back on their hands and knees and say, I'm so sorry. And they blame it on something else like I had a hard day at work yeah. or you just tipped me off and um, and I apologize. It won't happen again. And so the, the partner's appeased. Everything's fine again and you're back to the person I loved, and then it starts over again. Mm. Um, with emotional abuse, the person really just starts to have no self-esteem at all, realizing they can't live without the bounds of what their partners created for their own world. Which is why they can't leave. Yes, why they can't leave. And we oh. and, and it's it's really hard because most people just scratch their heads from the outsides, looking at that, going, "How in the world could you stay with someone who calls you those names?" I mean, they'll even do things where the the partner will control the finances to the point where you have to beg for every penny. So you can't live without them. 
or if they get an allowance, you have to earn it, such as um, you have to get on the scale and show me how much oh, you weigh. I've heard of that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I'll only give you your allowance if you have lost pounds or you're at a certain weight. Things like that. It's just really super controlling. So one of, so one of the signs, I guess, is, is controlling nature but around money. Yes. Um, so one of the, th- the things I, I want to really talk about today is um, with, a, with gaslighting, um, there's two ways that they, they can control you. Most likely that you will not leave or it's very hard to leave. One is the, the social isolation where you have, you're not at work, um, you're home with the babies, you have no friends and family or you have very little contact or um, be, even though you might have contact, you're so ashamed and there's no signs of abuse. And so no one will believe you. Even if you go to your pastor or your priest, they won't I – mean, he's an upstanding citizen. And he's a member of our congregation. Yeah. How could he possibly do that? And so nobody believes you. So how could you ever divulge that to anyone? How could, how you know, who no one would believe you? So you right. start to question. I I, I really um, have no worth. I have I can't marry any better. Better. That's yeah. what he makes you believe. I can't do any better. Um, and no one would believe me anyway. Well, you're going to lose the kids. Uh-huh. If we divorce, I'm taking the kids. Yeah, I'll show what you, you're crazy. I'll show you're the lunatic, yeah. and he will. He'll he'll make you believe that you are the lunatic. Oh. Yeah, yeah. So that's one. What was the other one? Then we'll take and then a break. the finance, and we'll talk about finance when we get back. Because because the, the, then they'll so they'll either and they'll get you away from your friends. Mm-hmm. They'll. So if you have somebody that's pushing you big time, don't go out with your friends. You don't need your family over mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. And they're isolating you. That's a sign. Or your mother Your mother never liked me. So, you know, and I, I can't go because she always, you know, she always makes me feel bad. So I'm not going to go to your family because she doesn't like me. So therefore, you have to choose between me and her. You know, mm-hmm. and so now and, it, and, the, and the Bible says, you know, you must leave your family and come live with me. So. So, yeah. <laughs> Do you want to believe the Bible or are you going to go, you know, where? Yeah. Um, excellent. Uh, we're learning some great stuff from Dr. Uh, Dr. Julie K. Nelson. I just made you a doctor. Hey, hey, that's good. You don't want to be a doctor. <laughs> You'll just check moles all day. <laughs> Julie Nelson's joining us. A spoonful of parenting.com is the website. Go look up the website. Uh, you can get all of her latest information. Her books, uh, her other book is Keep It Real and Grab a Plunger 25 Tips for Surviving Parenthood. Today, she's talking about the signs of emotional abuse and what you need to do about it, folks. Uh, important information. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Stick with us. Friends to the Matt Townsend Show uh, in studio with us, Julie K. Nelson. She's the bomb mom and the child whisperer. She's here parenting us, teaching us how to be better parents, and just giving us love. Yeah. When you come in, there's just a better feeling in the studio. Hey, there's a good vibe here. It's like it's like we. I feel like I'm safe. Yeah, the sun's come out. I feel know? I feel scared a lot of times. I'm afraid with just when it's just Ben and I in here. But then when you came in. <laughs> I feel safer. Well, Ben is a little scary. Yeah. It's his ice cream making machine. People die. You were talking about uh, emotional abuse. Two things to watch out for. One, if you're being isolated socially, if you're being like, if your partner's saying, you don't need friends, you go to your friends too much and you hardly ever go. Your parents, they don't need to be here. If they try to isolate you from people. And another one is money access. If you don't have access to funds, you're being you're 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 falling into this gaslighting. Mm-hmm. They're starting to they're starting to cut you off. Yeah, 
So you're exactly right. The partner so severely eroded the wife's self-esteem she can no longer function outside of the controlling, abusive partner. She doesn't feel like she is worth anything. I have no more other prospects. And how would I ever survive outside? Anyway, anyway, you know, I, I feel so badly about myself and I have no money. And money is the hugest reason, really, because he's controlled everything, mostly in, in gaslighting. The partner has taken everything. Yeah. Financial abuse is estimated to be in about 99% of all emotional control cases. Wow. So virtually them all. Um, they account. They make their partner account for every penny. Um, they give them allowances only if they do certain things. Um, or they run the wife's credit rating so poorly that she's trapped. She has mm-hmm. no credit score. Um, and so um, we also mentioned, you know, that religion does play a little bit into it, that partners who um, attend organized religion stay together in abusive marriages longer. Yeah. Um, a husband may use religious dominance to justify his emotional control. He says things like, God gave you to me, you belong to me, and you need to do what I say. Um, That's unrighteous domination. Yes. And the wife said about this um, about this situation, she said, I felt like uh, his slave sexually and physically, but I hid it because I was embarrassed and didn't want the marriage to fail. Mm. In, in religious organizations, v- rightly so, they do high, highly esteem marriage. Um, in in organ in church in churches in organized right. religion and it should be that way but not to the point where people feel like I'm I'm such a failure I don't want to let other people know or I don't want to you know dissolve this marriage or admit that anything's happening because I would be a um, you know a disappointment to right, my yeah. con- to my congregation to my pastor a shame uh huh yeah and they stay in longer than they mm. should. Um, and therefore, the seven times, right? Yeah. Okay. So in, in this article by Ginny Graves called How I Broke Free, she has five money tips to help protect the abused partner, whether it's a female or a male. Um, so let's go over those, yeah. Matt. Okay. The first one is um, for whoever's being the victim to maintain full access to all credit cards, bank accounts, everything. She needs to not let him take over control of all those things. Well, and, and if you're if you're in a marriage and you sense that you might be a little more controlling, be careful because you could fall into this trap of being emotionally abusive. One way to not, I guess, is keep open the funds. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a great. Research shows couples that uh, have different accounts or can over-control the money are going to increase the likelihood of divorce anyway. Exactly. Watch out. Yeah, and if you ever want to break free, how are you going to possibly manage if you have no credit score because you yeah. run it down, you're ba- basic, basically in bankruptcy and you cannot um, you know, qualify for any kind and, of credit and card. And to make sure that you have earning ability, that you have – even if you're going to be a stay-at-home mom, you, you still could have skills, education, tools in your in – your, uh, mm-hmm. Your quiver. Right. Exactly. Good Good point, Matt. Um, second, make all money decisions jointly. Mm-hmm. Like you said, you should be able to be full partner at the table of your fa- family finance. Yeah. 100%. Um, You've got to vote. Assert yourself and say, okay, show you know, let's talk about what we're doing, making a budget. Together you make the budget. Together you are accountable to each other. Together you see where you want to put the money and you feel empowered and jointly you're responsible. Yeah. Great um, not just one person's balancing the checkbook and you you don't know anything that's going on. Um, so make sure that you are a partner with that. Number three, get individual credit cards. You can have joint ones, but also there's a lot of advantages to having your own credit card. If you have your own, then you start racking up some points wherever yeah. you want to go. Yeah, and you get some credit and you uh-huh. get you get used to managing your own 
card. Yes, know? yes. That's a big deal. It's a big deal. So um, have some individual credit cards. Um, it just is another way of empowering each, yeah. each member of the uh, um, the household. And then know the social security numbers and bank account numbers of you and your children. Hmm. Um, have those so that if you do need to do a quick getaway at any point, you have all this ready in some kind of an envelope and everything, all the documentation's there. Right. Yeah. Oh, it's so true. Um, just five, number five, and finally, be alert to emotional abuse signs regarding money matters. If, you're, if, if your um, boyfriend or your partner or husband starts saying things such as, you know, you don't need to do that, you don't need to, mm-hmm. you know, um, then notice that they're trying to pull away your um, and restrict your freedom and pull you towards them, which could be flattering at first, where he will yeah. take care oh, of me. He oh, loves he me. loves me so He's gonna much. He's going to make me safe. Mm-hmm. You can almost see that if you grew up in an, abo- in an abusive relationship or family, you might want to be taken care of. Like you want somebody that just will protect you and Take watch all, over make you. Make all the decisions for you. But if you're not careful, you'll fall into the trap of being too dependent. Yeah. Yeah. So watch for if you um, perhaps were raised in a home where there was an imbalance of power and that one person wore the pants all the time and one person made all the decisions and the other one cowered a lot mm-hmm. and acquiesced to the other. Did you come from a home where, the, where your parents were like that and there was very inequitable? Do you tend to then take the dominance or the servant type role, which, you know, because I've seen that mm-hmm. modeling in my home, yeah. um, I tend to gravitate toward a partner who is dominant, just yeah. like my father was or whatever. And that, like you said, that could could be, you know, some religious families might be that way because there's kind of that order where the dads, the the guy. It also could be military families, mm-hmm. people where there's an, uh, police officers, yeah. where there's an obvious authority. Mm-hmm. And authoritarianism is kind of the approach of getting stuff done. Pay attention to that. Absolutely. Notice the signs. Notice the signs. Oh, yeah. This is good learning. Yeah. Because and this is abuse. Get real clear. Mm-hmm. This is if you're being. Oppressed, they're not. They may not even lay a hand on you, mm-hmm. but if they're not letting you be your own spirit, make your own decisions, and if you don't feel like you're independent, or you have any worth, yeah, or any worth, you're yeah. being oppressed. Yeah, and that's that's the saddest thing is that you wouldn't, like I said, you would normally not date someone who says you're worthless, you're stupid, you're a cow. But what happens is, is after time, and they start flattering you and making you feel like you're their source of mm-hmm. of um, validation. Then if they can start twisting that. And then doing little things just to make you feel kind of bad, like they start pinching you, say, "Hey, you got a little little extra wow. weight, right? Little well, extra yeah. weight right there, hon. You know, you got to get." And they start saying things yeah. like that, or "Don't you want to do something about that nose of yours?" And they start saying little jabs. Then you start believing, playing into their hand, right. and then they can start going worse, worse, worse. And then they're the source of all your validation, which is now all negative. So it doesn't always start out like that, because right. you know most people are they're not that stupid. Mm-hmm. But uh, to begin with a partner like that, but the partners know the gaslighting effect and how to do it, and they just slow. Slowly drip, drip, drip. Yes. Great lesson. Uh, Julie K. Nelson, thank you. Mm, hey, glad to have you. Go, go, to, here. Go, to the, here. go to the website, a spoonfulofparenting.com. Seriously, all of your past interviews, your blogs, your books, pictures of crying babies, how to <laughs> swaddle, it's all in there. That's how good you are. Hey, it's very comprehensive. Everything you want to know is on there. That's great. Plus, more. Than you've ever wanted to know. <laughs> Things I didn't even know I needed to know, they're on there. They're, it's that much and that much good. Julie K. Nelson's her name, and uh, we couldn't do it without her. She's one of our great contributors. We'll take a break. When we come back, we'll be visiting our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Ah, find out what happened to BYU last night in the Zags. Ah, it's going to be a difficult few minutes. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Thanks, Matt. 
Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. It's kind of a sad anthem. Let's shoot it down to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation, Spencer and Jerem. Hello, John Omen. What's up? You are quite literally shooting it 413 miles down or south to Las Vegas. Really? You're still there? I don't know. I just kind of threw it out there. I'm going to go with uh, that's about right. Like most of the facts on this program, they're made up. I'm going to Google that right now and find out if it's actually yeah. 400, like yeah. how close it is to 400. This program being our show, sorry, not your show. No, that's great. Do Just your take over. I've cool. actually been going for a while. I'm a little tired. My legs, I don't have my legs about me. Hey, I got a question for you. Well, do you think that, let's say that you ate a kebab. Have you ever had a kebab? Sure. Sure we have. Yeah. So an Austrian man was fined $77 after belching after he ate a kebab. Okay. Must have been a good one. Do you think... (laughs) It was great. Do you think that there should be a burping penalty, a belching fine on the sidewalk? Depends on the country. Depends on the country. I think you should be rewarded. Really? I mean, in some countries, you are rewarded. In Korea, if you belch or burp, that is... Looked upon as an appreciation, an appreciative gesture. That Did you do it as a missionary? That the food is really good. Really? Yeah. Did you do it as a missionary? A few times, I think. A few Not times. Super loud. Fun. Yeah. Well, it's funny because in, in, I guess in Austria you'd be arrested or actually fined seventy-seven dollars for a belch that's in proximity to a policeman. Careful, yeah. You know what I mean? Is it like, the, fu- the fuzz will get you. They view it as threatening. Like, how dare you burp at me? <laughs> we, we Was that a kebab? A functioning government if there's burping. Burp. <laughs> well, I mean, what do you do like when you really got the burps? You know? Then you and just... Make sure there's no cops around. Oh, yeah. crap, dude, I got the burps, man. I couldn't go to work today, <laughs> man. <laughs> got the burps, bro. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Uh, oh, uh, but, uh, I forgot about Maybe that. He's being arrested left and right. Yeah. But in Brazil, apparently, there's not a belching problem. Nope. Hmm. No, they got other problems. Like water. <laughs> like uh, clean like water. Like the water. And stuff. Yeah. yeah. They got other issues. Among, yeah. You don't worry about burps when you got uh, <laughs> you know what? floating around in the water. I forgot <laughs> to tell you, though, that in protest of the belching um, ticket... About 100 people have vowed that they would attend a loud belch flash mob planned for this Saturday. So if you guys are available, Austria, 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 yeah. People are oh, put another shrimp on the barbie. People are <laughs> congregating over something like this. Yeah, yeah, they're going to get Think together. How many other well, more positive? How many people are influential? There? A thousand, a hundred. Like mm-hmm. effective uses of time you could have other than let's take a stance on being able to belch. Well. You know? But, I mean, just think about how oppressive you've got to fight the oppression. I mean, you can't control my gastric bypass, no, my gastric system. Goodness. We we live in a day and age where if somebody takes a stance on something, like, you should just anticipate that the other side will take an official stance and rally. Oh, yeah. Technology has enabled the vocal minority. Yes. Better better than any stance uh, or time... In history, which is great because everyone has a voice. That's important, for sure. But it's, <laughs> but, but it's tough because now that voice is louder than it actually right? is. Well, like but can you can you imagine society accurately? Right. But can you imagine the poor person? I don't know, just at a food mart, and all of a sudden this loud belching flash mob breaks out. 
Like, you've got to be thinking, what the, what's going on here? Grapevine. That's all I know. You know what I mean? And then everybody's belching. Oh. You got to do what you got to do for uh, freedom. Hey, uh, totally. Absolutely. <laughs> hey, by the way, speaking of belching, talk about uh, the Zag BYU game last night. Do we have to? Yeah. I mean, I'm no, a... it was an, okay, for one, it was an unbelievably entertaining college basketball Great game. game. Oh. Great game. Amazing atmosphere. I mean, just a heavyweight bout in Las Vegas, yeah. the, way that it, the way that it should be. Right. Down to four points, too. I mean, come Three on. Games. Three games this year between the teams decided by eight points. Oh, so close. Battles. Gonzaga is better than BYU this season, the last five years. <laughs> I mean, th- this is... This is Gonzaga's tournament. I called it this week the Gonzaga Invitational presented by the West Coast Conference. <laughs> They've been to the title game 19 years in a row now. It was disappointing because I thought BYU played a pretty good game. They could have had it. And the door was open several times. BYU got stops but could not enter the door. In fact, uh, coming up our Saturday is going to be this. Uh, Gonzaga led the game for 36 minutes. So BYU was always playing from behind. Mm. Never really inserted themselves to put pressure on Gonzaga, who has had trouble closing games this year. Uh, and BYU didn't have the lead to where they Gonzaga had to answer it. They could have the lead, have some empty possessions. BYU got within striking distance. Never ultimately put the the pressure on that ne- uh, was needed. I think in that game. Wow. So now what? NIT. Mm. BYU will play in a game next Tuesday or Wednesday. It looks like in the NIT. So it's it's kind of like in high school when you, uh, it's never happened to me, but I've heard it happen to others when you didn't get asked to the dance, but that cousin calls. You know, that cousin like from Wichita is like, I'll come out. I'll go with you. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's, it's tough because... Let's go to the dance. The BYU's program is not... Um, the NIT is a disappointment. The, yeah. the NCAA tournament's where it's at. They've been to eight NCAA tournaments in 10 Oh, this is a big it, deal. This will make it three NITs now and 11. Dave Rose wins a lot of games. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's disappointing. BYU, in, the, in five years in the West Coast Conference, BYU has zero regular season titles, zero tournament titles. That's disappointing. Meanwhile, the women are going to play in their fourth title game Killing in the last it. five years. I know. You can listen on BYU Radio now, at they, 4 Eastern. They have supplanted Gonzaga as the power in the West Coast Conference. See? If they win today, I wholeheartedly agree with that statement. It'll be their third tourney title. Domination. In the last five years. You talk about regular season championships. This is BYU's first this year. So they're getting there in terms of like, okay, it's, it's our conference now. That's great. Are you guys going to, I'm sure you're going to talk about this on your show today. Yeah, we'll talk about all that. Spring football, practice number four today. Baseball plays their first home game tonight. Hey, I came I, home I with the baseball a... team, by the way, on the on the airplane. Yeah, you B- did. Yeah, the whole B- the whole BYU baseball team and yeah. the University of Utah tennis team. There you go. There was a stare down. I'm telling you, at the Denver airport, I Thank thought me. they were going to break into fisticuffs. Oh my goodness! Incredible rackets, baseballs being thrown everywhere. Tase them! Tase them! Taze it. No. Okay. Anything else going on on the show today? We have a loaded guest schedule. Of course. Loaded. Fred Fischilla, ESPN. He was the color commentator on the broadcast. He'll join us. Dan Nielsen, women's hoops assistant. Roxy Bernstein of ESPN is going to call the women's championship. He's also called a number of Kyle Collinsworth's triple-double performances on ESPN. So, yeah, Yeah. two ESPN personalities and Dan Nielsen from BYU women's basketball. And we're uh, on the show, too. Yeah. So, oh, and by the way, we're here. Yeah, we're two here. other in incredible Vegas. personalities. Parting in Vegas in an empty arena. With the Vegas belches. Yes. Watch out, dude. They'll find you there. <laughs>
Okay, it's going to be a great show. As always, top of the hour. It's just a few minutes away. I know you need to go wax and pluck and, you know, prim. We're all, we've already done that, man. Oh, you're ready. By the got, time we, we talk to, to you, we're he's ready. Yeah. Oh, so, and you don't have to dye your hair, Spencer? No, and I'm kind of sad that I don't have to. I am, I too. That, I thought that would be fun. Well, plus the gray hairs are coming through. Exactly. Not quite. Well, <laughs> they might if BYU continues to not win this tournament. Yeah, this is going to stress you out. <laughs> stress you out. All right, guys, have a great show. Knock them dead. Thanks, Matthew. Okay, be bye. strong. Remember who you are. Return with honor. I would win an election in Las Vegas. <laughs> the season for courage. Thank you, Mr. Trump. That's so great. Find enjoy in the journey. That's great. Have, have, have a good one. Okay, bye. Goodbye. That's, uh, that's, that's the boys right there. Spencer and Jerem from BYU Sports Nation. You're not going to want to miss that. Top of the hour. They're going to they're going to queue up, tee up the women's game, which will take place today. Uh, I believe they said four. I don't know what they said. Four Eastern. I don't remember. We'll, we'll let just just pay attention to them. This is programming news that you're lucky I even know any of the news. Um, but they've also got uh, they're going to do a great review of the game last night. Good stuff. Now, as you know, it's National Pancake Day and International Women's Day. No relationship. But there was a brawl, by the way, that broke out. And it's a little bit of an international women's, I guess, motif. A brawl broke out at a Florida pizzeria after an order of garlic knots arrived with cheese on top. A Flagler County police report says 25-year-old Jessica Conti demanded her money back late Friday and was angered when the clerk put her money on the counter in what Conti considered a disrespectful manner. But she did let it go, folks. She threw garly, cheesy garlic knots, and it started a food fight. The Daytona Beach News Journal reports three men then stormed into Palm Coast Pizza and knocked a fax machine and a cash register off the counter. They also threw food and pizza boxes. They left before the deputies arrived, but someone at the restaurant identified them, and they soon tracked them down uh, and arrested them. I guess they were part of this group with Jessica Conti. It started a fight over cheesy garlic knots. I ordered garlic knots? Goodness. What's happening to this world where when you want your order back, the clerk puts the money down in a disrespectful manner? If I started a food fight every time somebody in my studio did something disrespectful? I'd be dead. You'd be dead by cheesy garlic. Terry would be injured. Terry would be, yeah. Maimed. Mm -hmm. You can only be hit by so many cheesy garlic knots. Before, you know, you're going to break open a wound. Have you ever had garlic salt in your cheesy garlic in I your wound? I can only imagine how horrible that would be. Painful. That's all I got to say about that. <laughs> what is happening to this world? <sighs> you know, that's why we do this show. We want to give you the tools, the information you need to live a healthier, happier life. So what better way to do that than to wrap up the show with our hero story, of the day. Today's hero comes from Fayette County, Alabama Sheriff Deputy Kevin Johnson. 18-year-old Peyton Cupid 
says she's unbelievably grateful to the community and to God for getting her out of the freezing, rushing water last night. Cupid was preparing to drive across a spillway that people sometimes use as a shortcut. Her Hyundai Sonata couldn't quite make it, though, and Cupid didn't expect the water to be so deep. The car was almost immediately swept over the side, crashing into the boulders and coming to a stop on a log. Cupid knew that she had to get out of her car before it filled up with water, but as soon as she opened the door, she was swept downstream by the current. Cupid finally found something to cling on to and was holding on in the freezing water for about an hour before she was spotted. When police arrived, it was Deputy Kevin Johnson who jumped into the freezing water with a tow strap wrapped around his waist. Cupid climbed uh, on the officer's back while a team of first responders pulled them both to safety. Peyton was treated for hypothermia and released from the hospital soon after that. Uh, Peyton says, I just want to thank Kevin Johnson and everybody who risked their lives to save mine and the whole community coming together just to try to save me. Deputy Johnson says that uh, he uh, all he saw was someone's daughter who needed help. So that's why he did what he did. Alabama Sheriff Deputy Kevin Johnson out of Fayette County, you are the hero of the day on the Matt Townsend Show. And again, remember, folks, all of us can be heroes. We all are a hero in somebody's life, whether it's your kids, your family, your friends. We all are heroes. And uh, it doesn't take you know imag- amazing courage to be a hero. Sometimes it just takes a willingness to be there day in and day out. That's why we do the show Uh, It's been a great show. We've learned a lot, uh, including everything you can imagine from gaining confidence to uh, paying attention and watching out for emotional abuse. We talked about the shortage of nursing in the first hour. If you missed any of these stories or shows, go look us up. Go find us on iTunes, on TuneIn. Our podcasts are there. Just look up The Matt Townsend Show. You can also go download the BYU Radio app, which is a great way to get all of our information and our shows. Just check us out, folks. Uh, we can't change the world unless you're paying attention to us. Please look us up. Go to the, my uh, Facebook page also if, and uh, to the Matt Townsend website. More information, more tools to help you live longer and love stronger, folks. That's the show. Until tomorrow, watch out for each other. Take care of each other and make it a great one. We'll talk again tomorrow.